0: eligible items only exclusions apply see ebaymotors.com it's only a kick
1: a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans after all it's only pressure you got this adidas Do something to wrestle something to wrestle with. Ribs, Well, you know, that's not a rib. She put <laughs>, it. She put it. No, yeah, but there's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. See yeah. there? I, I, I was there. I don't, <translations> <out> there. <strateacles> <forearm Occ aerial> I don't give a shit. <laughs> Scared of shell you. you, Bruce. Ah look you take cheese, cheeseburger. double cheeseburger, you take gray cheese, you know, and then double burger, you know, it's called chicken salad. Double
0: onion. Oh, <laughs> They're on your Google machine. God damn good.
1: God damn it. What the hell show you got there. Right.
0: with Bruce Pritchard. hey hey it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to something to wrestle with
1: Bruce Pritchard, Bruce what's going on man how are you I am excellent it has been an absolutely crazy week getting ready for a live show here in my hometown of Houston all right Bruce it's time what everybody's here for what What happened happened with
0: The WWE presented survivor series, 2002 from Madison square garden. I've been looking forward to talking about this one for a long time. There's so much going on with this show. And, uh, I know maybe some of us have forgotten over the years, but we're going to catch you up to speed right now. Uh, but before we get going on the pay-per-view and what got us there, I should remind you that we are right upon, believe it or not, the 15 year anniversary It went down on November 17th, 2002, and you're probably listening to this on November 17th. now. Of course, it goes down at Madison Square Garden, which has always been the number one building for the company, right, Bruce?
1: It is the mecca of arenas, pretty much the most famous arena in the entire world, and without a doubt, the most famous wrestling arena in the world. Madison Square Garden has been host to some of the biggest events of any sporting uh, throughout history.
0: And we should mention that uh, Survivor Series is no stranger to Madison Square Garden. Of course, we talked a lot about this over the last few weeks. Survivor Series 1996 was also at Madison Square Garden, and this is one of the cornerstone pay-per-views. And it's kind of fun that as we're doing this, the Survivor Series is this weekend in Houston. Business is really good here in 2002. You've got a super stacked roster. There's no competition, no more ECW, no more WCW. But there is a little startup, the NWATNA, but they're not really any competition at this point. And it looks like Shawn Michaels is back and better than ever. He returned, of course, at SummerSlam 2002, which we've covered in the archives and you can check out for free right now at something But this is a really big deal. It's his second match back and it's the first time he's challenged for a world title in five years, going all the way back to Survivor Series 1997, which we did cover last week. This is a big deal for Shawn Michaels making a return in a new gimmick match for the world title in Madison square garden. It doesn't get much bigger than that. Does it Bruce?
1: No, it really doesn't. And the actually the return of Shawn, this was supposed to be a one-off. Um, SummerSlam was supposed to be a one-off. Then it was like, okay, ah, okay, maybe get one more. So this wasn't even being looked at from our point of view as a, a return this was another one-off special attraction for sean
0: well of course it turns out not to be a one-off and he goes on to be <laughs> one of the greatest superstars of all time with this run you could certainly make the argument but before we get to this show let's sort of back up and talk about no mercy uh, lots of stuff is coming out of no mercy which is the most recent pay-per-view the month prior in october and uh, on that show we saw triple h beat Kane, and he sort of merged the raw world title I guess it's, you know, at that time called the world heavyweight title. We all remember it as the big gold from WCW, but he had been awarded that belt on raw just out of the blue by Eric Bischoff creating two separate championships. Of course, this is not too terribly long after they merged these titles to create an undisputed title. Uh, I think most people probably think about Chris Jericho with the big gold on one shoulder and the big Eagle on the other signifying that he was the WCW champ and the WWF champ. Well, now just arbitrarily, um, Eric Bischoff produces a belt on raw. Whose idea was that? It feels like it's kind of out of left field to just create a fucking title like this.
1: Out, of, it was out of the blue. It was Vince is like, ah, it's too confusing. Uh, we just need to have raw needs to have a championship and SmackDown needs to have a championship. So SmackDown will have the WWF championship and, and, uh, raw will be the world championship. And it just, it was that arbitrary that he, he wanted that. We, I was always a big fan of the undisputed. I always wanted one champion that could go to both brands, but out of the blue one day, he decided he wanted that championship and, and there was not going to be a tournament for it. There wasn't going to be a match for it. It's just here. Let's, let's award triple H would be the champion.
0: And nobody says anything about just creating a title out of thin air to hand a triple H.
1: Oh, sure. We all did, <laughs> but it was kind of like at that point in time, talking to a brick wall, it feels he like- had it in his head. That's what he was going to do. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have a new world champion. he will be the world champion. I'm I'm sick of all this, uh, uh, this mixing crap.
0: I assume. I mean, at this point is Pat Patterson around at all. He's probably not against creating belts. I don't know handing it to a guy, right?
1: easy now what i'm just asking a question pat patterson fought a very very rough and rugged championship overseas in rio de janeiro to become the first ever intercontinental champion so it was a it was uh, a shoot back then too right yeah exactly international championship tournament in international waters
0: international waters that's hilarious uh, yeah. so, so let's talk about what the plan here is at no mercy because Kane's coming in as the intercontinental champion and they're essentially merging both of these belts seemingly to do away with the intercontinental title.
1: Um, what? Thank you. Um, and, and for the WWE or WWF purist, that was sacrilege because we felt that the intercontinental championship had more cachet then the United States championship, the United States championship was something that was a SmackDown property now. And Vince, we, we all felt there were too many championships. What do you do? Let's create another championship and just get what get rid of an established championship. It, it was a crazy time.
0: Well, it lasts less than seven months. I think before Stone Cold, Steve Austin overrules Eric Bischoff and brings back the intercontinental title for a tournament. But I'm curious. You know, when you're saying it's sacrilege, you're in the inner circle.
1: How'd y'all let this shit happen, man? Hey, sometimes when the boss makes a decision and you get your point of view out there and you can argue it back and forth, but when he finally makes a decision, you back it and you go out and support it a hundred percent.
0: Well, of course we can't talk about this entire cane. Everybody knows where I'm going now. You can't talk where, about where are, you,
1: where are you going,
0: man? You can't talk about that match with Kane and triple H and not talk about two words that we have teased on this show for over a year. Katie Vick. What, what What's going on, dude? Let's, let's kind of catch everybody up. If you're out of the loop on October 7th, 2002, they're doing a raw roulette. And at the end of the show, triple H asked Kane, if the name Katie Vick rang a bell. And then he says he's going to tell the world that Kane is a murderer. The next week, uh Kane comes down and tells his version of the story. He says he went out one night with his girlfriend, Katie. They had too much to drink. He got behind the wheel, lost control of the car. Kane was injured, but Katie died. So, Triple H wastes no time provoking Kane, and now we've got something going on here. Uh Terry tries to console Kane, so I guess there's Maybe something in the future there. The next week on Raw <laughs> Triple H continues to dig at Kane and they're showing a clip of Triple H wearing a cane mask, pretending to be the big red machine at Katie Vick's funeral. Here we see a um would you use the word a dummy? It was a mannequin. Okay. A mannequin is laying in a casket and Triple H starts grabbing at the dummy and then simulates having sex with a dummy inside of a casket in a funeral home. And, um, yeah. So catch me up. We've, we've talked about this in kind of, uh, snippets on the show, but we've never really addressed it. Who booked this shit? You guys are sitting around and somebody says, I got an idea. What if, Take it from there.
1: <laughs> oh, you ever have those moments in your life that there are things that are so traumatic that you block them out completely? This isn't one of them. Come on, it really, it really, and truly is one of them on so many, so many different uh, counts. The original idea behind Katie Vick was a way to introduce Scott Vick who was a part of our developmental system and we were going to bring Scott in. And Scott was going to work with, uh, actually work with Kane at the time or triple H I forget which at this point, but Scott just had some really, really horrible dark matches at TV and on the road. And Scott, he went, when he got the nod to come up to the show, all of his matches from that point going forward, just the bottom fell out. And Vince is like, what the hell are we doing? So he changed and we had already teased the name Katie Vick. So it's, it's like, okay, let's, let's change this and, and move it over to Kane and it could be his girlfriend. And it was during a time that Vince was really big into, we need more soap opera. We need more stories behind the characters. So we started creating stories and it, it came to the story of what if, you know, Kane accidentally, you know, uh, didn't murder her, but you know, was driving and, and then, Oh my God, then the drinking and it just grew. It's another glowing example of don't suggest or say things in jest that you don't want to have show up on the show
0: so help me understand as you guys are sitting around the room does somebody say well how did she die and then somebody says well what if she was in a car wreck and then somebody else says well what if he was drinking yes can you point fingers to anybody right now
1: that was no, cause it was a group effort. It was, it was literally a group effort. And
0: who are these people? Did, so we can direct hate tweets to them.
1: <laughs> uh, you can direct them towards me. You can direct them towards Vince. You can direct them towards Brian Gwertz, Michael Hayes. There's a whole bunch of, Oh, us wait a involved. minute. You can't
0: drip some Hayes on us.
1: Hey, hey, dude, dude. <laughs> hey I got an idea. There
0: you go. Um, no, 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 no. We
1: were all responsible. This was a group effort. Um you can't there's no finger pointing here. Uh we could turn the fingers back on ourselves. And it just it became, you know, and and like I say with with everything, you know, Vince was the ultimate decision maker and Vince was the ultimate one that said, "I love it." So this is where we're going to go. And it it took um I mean, you want to tell you, tell the story of the, of the whole vignette?
0: Yeah. Why not? Come on.
1: So we were in Nashville, I believe. Um, and that's where we're going to shoot this damn vignette. And the idea behind the vignette was that Hunter was going to do a spoof emphasis on the word spoof of Katie Vick's funeral that Kane tried to get in, and Kane being the sick perverted uh person that Triple H was portraying him to be, uh, was gonna have perceived sex with the corpse. <laughs> but yet when we laid it all out, you weren't gonna see all that crap. You Wait, know, it you weren't was gonna, gonna see be penetration cheek. It was going to be over the top, it was going to be ridiculous. But, I mean, almost like uh, Pink Panther ridiculous. And we get to the funeral home where we are going to shoot this. It's myself, Vince, Triple H, and Kane in a crew. Uh, I lost a couple of crew members uh, because of this shoot that were highly offended at the subject matter of the shoot. And after the shoot, quit. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think we ever saw him again, but as we get there and we're laying it out, uh, I would like to point out that we were in a real funeral home.
0: Oh my goodness. What's wrong with you guys?
1: And that there was a real wake taking place. You know how they have those accordion dividers that divide rooms. Yes. There was an accordion divider dividing the rooms <clears throat> where we're doing our shoot and they're having a wake. For a gentleman in the next room. And um Hunter and I are talking and we're kind of laying this thing out, and we're we're laughing and we're trying to do way over the top um goof, a goof to where no one in their right mind could take this seriously. Where we're where no one in their right mind would say, Oh, this is a Uh, tasteless necrophilia (laughs) skit this is a couple guys having fun and um vince got real serious on us and said god that'll never work you got to do this straight that's where the humor is and we're thinking okay but if someone just tunes into it you always tell us to look at the television show as if every single week you are presenting this show to people who have never seen the show before and you want everyone to understand it. If we do this straight, I just don't know how to do that. I mean, how, how do you do a straight, a straight, um, necrophilia scene on television? So we got in a fairly heated argument, um, Triple H and I saw it one way. Vince saw it completely another way. And we decided on a compromise. Vince said, We'll shoot it both ways. And after we see both of them, we'll decide which one we like first or best. (laughs) So he says, Let's do it my way first. And then we'll do it your way. It's another important lesson to learn here, kids. So we do it and Hunter does this thing about as straight as you can do it over the top straight and serious. We shoot it. We're done. And Vince is like, God damn, I love it. That's perfect. Hunter and I are looking at each other like, okay, now let's show him you know, how the over the top one is going to be and how it'll be so much better to do it. Tongue in cheek. All right, let's go guys. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got to shoot it. We got to shoot the other one. God damn Bruce. We don't have time. You're not going to get better than that. And Hunter just looks at me like, save me. We, We can't air that. There's no way we can air that. And Vince told the crew to rap. We gotta get back. We gotta goddamn, we're going live. <sighs> and we rapped. And we went back to the uh back to the building, delivered the tape, and I remember going in and grabbing Kevin Dunn and saying, Hey man, you need to you need to take a look at this. Cause I I think we kind of crossed the line. Hunter comes in, in the, in the truck and says, man, you got to look at this. I don't know. Vince loves it. He wants to air it. Kevin looks at it. (laughs) Kevin makes that long walk down to Vince's office and goes in and says, Vince, I don't think we can air it. Now Vince is pissed. Because I've told him it's not good. Hunter's told him it's not good. Now he feels that we've gone to get Kevin and that Kevin is now, now we're all ganging up on him, telling the, telling him that his idea is no good. And he's going to prove us wrong. Come hell or high water. And it aired.
0: Um, when everybody knows, Oh, we've pissed off the boss. It's airing either way. What's Hunter's reaction. Is he embarrassed? Upset? mad
1: i think all the above you know we both kind of felt a little betrayed
0: because, because he promised to let you do both
1: we, huh
0: because he said you could do both
1: we he said we could do both and and we
0: this mother's day and father's day look no further for the perfect gift than com. it's worked for me every time and when i say every time i mean it i've used paintyourlife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law, all from painterlife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for Mother's Day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple too. All we needed was a a picture from our phone. Boom. We're up and running. You see, painterlife.com can really create a hand-painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother your father or both i've used it as i said on almost every person in my life i've given these to my wife i've given it to my cousin my mom my dad my father-in-law if i'm looking to give a truly meaningful personable gift i know the painterlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy you can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes and what's really cool about painterlife.com is they can even combine photos Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson. PaintYourLife.com. That can become a reality. You can put people and places together, even if they've never been there. You pick the artist. You pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes, and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks, but you work hand in hand with the artist to get every detail perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going, to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion, that's what I got, and I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now, to get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com terms for details.
1: we knew the other way was the only way to do it. Um, in my opinion, and obviously there's two ways to, to look at everything. I've been wrong before there was that one time, but not only that, but he, he was determined this is going to air. We're going to do it. Um, and there was a live interview coming out of it to Hunter in the back. And I'm standing there and I'm producing the interview. And we're looking at each other and we're watching it again. <laughs> and just our mouths are hanging open. He says, what do I say? I, I didn't know. I really did not know what the hell to say to that. And I believe that was his response coming out of it was, you know, I don't know what to say. I think the picture speaks for itself. Um, the main event that night was Kane and Rob Van Dam
0: tagging up to take on triple H and Ric Flair. And of course this gives Kane an opportunity to go after triple H for, you know, banging his girlfriend's corpse. And, um, he winds up stuffing triple H in the trunk of his rental car. And the final words on the show are something like, now I'm going to screw you. And then Kane peels way in my head. Vince thinks this is the funniest fucking
1: thing ever. This was this was an an attempt at soap opera and this is this is coming from um, people that, that would constantly tell us you need more soap opera you need more story and while yes we we probably did need more soap opera and more story I'm not sure that this was the best story to choose in the best way to to do soap opera at the time. It was rough. It was, it was, yeah, it was rough, man. It, it's, it's uh one of those moments that I, I proudly stand up and say, Hey, I did that. Um, just because I did, I did produce it. Um, at the same time, you kind of just shake your head and go, Oh my God, I produced that. Well, let's talk about, you know, kind of the thinking here. I feel like it's pretty
0: evident that, Vince really wanted to uh, do some controversial stuff here. I mean, is it fair to say Vince likes controversy?
1: Without a doubt. Vince, Vince loved to get people talking and (laughs) no matter what it was is if there was an element of the audience that felt it was in poor taste, then they've got their opinion. Um, he just thought that the mainstream i guess television you know he always wanted to compare us to the dramas on tv and i'm, I'm glad it's a you said different. that
0: yeah no it's totally different I, I should mention this feels like something that vince would have and the torch actually suggested that vince was trying to do this to get some sort of mainstream attention do you remember that being the idea that this would get picked up this would get people talking
1: We thought it would get people talking and it it wasn't, trust me, it wasn't done to get the reaction it got. Well, before we Um, get
0: there, I'm just curious, what reaction did he think people would have when you had triple H crawling into a casket and simulating sex with a corpse at a show that is in large part aimed at children? How did he think that would play in corporate America?
1: I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, because that was never, that was never our intention. And that, that part of it literally created itself in an afternoon of a TV in a funeral home where we all kind of went, huh? And, and when we brought it back and when the rest of the writers and everybody else saw it, they're all like going, what did you do? <laughs> well,
0: because it feels like it's just a rib. Like it's something we shot for fun. We're not actually going to show this.
1: I thought it was, I thought we were shooting it to, to prove a point that it, that was too far to go. Now,
0: we never talked about the, the end line here, but at the end of the skit, um, uh, I, I guess the go home line is triple H reaches down into the corpse's head and says something like, I fucked your brains out. And no, then,
1: I just screwed your brains out and
0: then throws the the brains at the camera. Yes. Is this a Vince McMahon idea as well? I mean, it feels like that level of comedy would be his jam.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that was the out on the other one too, but again, more tongue in cheek so that you could definitely laugh at it. Um, I think by the time that we got to that line in this, I think the, the laughter subsided and the disgust <laughs> took over.
0: Well, the next day, obviously the backlash had begun and the WWE puts a statement out on their website where they say the skip was uh, quote, nothing more than a blatant attempt to create controversy and it also says that it was done in an attempt to, quote, further enhance the character of Ross's chief antagonist, Triple H. Uh, I find that, I guess, kind of funny because it supports what you're talking about when you say he's comparing us to other TV shows because uh, a chief antagonist or protagonist or, you know, that type of language is used for shows like CSI at the time. You know, this is not CSI. It's
1: not... Well, you yeah. have protagonists and antagonists and that is what he was and again it's your choice of semantics and your choice of vocabulary but that's that's what he was and that's how we wanted him to portray he was a bad guy
0: i guess what i'm saying though is if somebody is you know fucking a corpse on csi you know it's just tuesday man no big deal but when it's on a wrestling show it does feel a little bit like what the hell is going on
1: because you identify the actors on CSI as actors portraying someone else. And when you see it on wrestling, you are portraying those people as the real people.
0: It's funny that WWE even needs to explain that the statement, the next day actually points out uh, that triple H used quote, a mannequin that simulated the body of Kane's former girlfriend, Katie Vick. So it wasn't an actual corpse. It wasn't a hashtag shoot
1: corpse. Yeah, I'd like to point that out. It was not a real corpse, folks. No, it was not. It was a mannequin.
0: Um, I'm curious because we've talked about her dad and we've talked about her husband. What did Stephanie think about this shit?
1: You know, I do not even remember Stephanie's reaction to it. I I think that I remember coming back and I remember Kevin Dunn and I remember the other writers just kind of going like, boy, I'm glad it was you, Bruce, and not us. <laughs> so had to go on that shoot. Um, which always seemed to be the, the case. I always got the, the controversial ones and it was either great or really bad. This one was really bad. Um, I don't even remember Stephanie's response to this because I think everybody else was just, what do we do now? How are we supposed to address this going forward?
0: You know, if the idea, I mean, do you think Vince's idea was to get heat on Triple H Did people? Did he think that people would boo this? I mean, clearly it didn't work because when he's tagged in that night in the main event, people pop. They viewed it as comedy, trashy, classless, tasteless comedy, much like our show. But still, he didn't get a, a heat reaction. He didn't get any booze.
1: No, he didn't. And I believe that the, the overall response on the video was, was laughter, which from the live audience, you know, frankly, I I was relieved that at least they, they laughed at it and they didn't boo it out of the building. So, um, that part I was happy about. So the next week, this, this, this
0: isn't over the next week in Detroit, You guys open the show with a closed casket sitting ringside and triple H is cutting a promo. He opens the casket and brings out Katie Vick, the mannequin into the ring. And I guess it's supposed to be like a comedic ventriloquist act. And then we see hurricane interrupt and show a video on the Titan Tron where there's someone wearing a triple H mask, uh, getting a surgical enema done of sorts as if this toilet humor couldn't get any more ridiculous on the heels of, <laughs> uh, fucking a corpse in a casket. Now we've got an enema the next week and, and Vince Russo's nowhere in sight. And I know everybody is probably thinking that this is the craziness that he would book, but clearly it's not. Um, who liked the idea of more mannequin and more enema?
1: Um, three words, VKM. And, you know, Vince likes his toilet humor and Vince, Vince finds that, that stuff hilarious. And and we did a lot of it. It was, I think at this point, you want to see how, how much we can do. You want to see how controversial we can get? Well, we'll show you. You didn't like that. How about this?
0: And WWE gets, um, a lot of criticism for this. And I guess rightfully so. In the most recent years, we've seen Mark Henry get oral sex from uh, a transgender person, and he's shocked by this. He didn't know. They've also had an old woman give birth to a hand. Uh, they've pretended to chop off a porn star's penis, and now they've shown a near-naked man simulating sex with a fake corpse in a casket in a funeral home. So <laughs> it's not the best resume uh, for the... Uh, Only
1: in America, my God. <laughs>
0: The parents' television council couldn't have been tickled with this. What did the network think? You know, what did your affiliates think? What was the backlash? Can you give us any sort of insight as to what that must have been like that week?
1: Woo. You know, they were, at the, the network, it was TNT at the time, and or Spike, whatever the hell they were at that time. You were never on TNT. Uh, TNN is what I meant. I know, being Spike. a ass. yeah. You know, God, you know. Um, they were fine with it. I think that, you know, they just kind of chalked it up to, okay, let's try this. Let's see where it goes. If it goes too far and we have to pull back, we'll pull back. And that was an attitude a lot of times where you would throw things out there and you would go as far as you think you could kind of get to that line, take a little tiptoe over. And if you had to pull back, you pulled back.
0: Um, does Vince have some sort of big reaction? It feels like Vince would be fired up cussing mad about this. Like, fuck them. I'll do what I want. Uh, is there any sort of pressure from advertisers, uh, any of the boys, any legends, any, anybody else you can mention about this Katie Vick debacle? Uh,
1: no, not really. I think it was the whispering, you know, amongst people it it wasn't like an outcry of of outrage. It was more people saying, can you believe they did that? Um, that's going too far, but nobody would actually come out and say to Vince, you know, that was too far other than that. I know of for 100% certain, uh, was I did and Hunter did. Um, that's what I witnessed and, and we were both vetoed. Without question, (laughs) we were vetoed. So you, you know, you take your licks and you pick your battles and you move on.
0: Any idea what Linda thought of this shit?
1: No clue. I I, I cannot imagine that she liked it, but at the same time, you pick your battles and this wasn't a hill I was going to die on
0: since we've mentioned Stephanie a few times, I guess I should mention that around the same time she appeared on Howard Stern show. Uh, do you remember this appearance, Bruce? I don't. Well, uh, she shows up and, um, she talks about everything you would imagine that she might talk about, including her relationship with China and how her and triple H got together. We'll cover that at, at some point in the future. But since we're talking about her husband banging corpses, I guess we should mention here that on the show, Um, she admits that she may need additional enhancement surgery on her breasts because, uh, she says I lost a lot of weight and they shrank to two melted packs of butter. And she describes exactly what type of implant she would like instead. And then she says that her sex life with triple H produces quote, the best sex I've ever had. And even says triple H bangs me hard when I like it hard, but I like a variation. Um, she also talks about how they shave themselves when this comes out you know it just feels like this is not a ceo of a billion dollar company's daughter and this is not something she's saying in public and this is not you know someone in trump's cabinet's daughter this is a much different much more edgy man let's let it all hang out we are the wwe and we have attitude era is it not
1: It was the Attitude Era, and it was, you know, coming off the heels of, you know, Vince had done an article, an interview in Playboy and had the same kind of sentiment. And I think that it was more along the lines of Stephanie and her character at that time and trying to be edgy and getting out there.
0: You know, I think that's something a lot of people are going to hear and maybe just gloss over. But you're going to say, much like Hulk Hogan said on the stand, that that was the Stephanie McMahon character, not real life stephanie answering those questions right
1: that's what i'd imagine i never heard the interview but that's what i'd imagine yeah i'd imagine her being edgy and trying to get out there and create controversy and get people talking
0: well they were talking after that i mean that was all over the message boards and it's all anybody was talking about and it was just interesting that that conversation is happening not too far removed from katie vick and it feels like for the first time uh we're getting way way edgy even in the mcmahon circle Uh, And things are getting a little touch and go for the company after the brand split. It doesn't feel like this thing has been met uh, with the best returns, at least based on pay-per-view buys. They make the announcement that starting on February 1st, they're no longer going to do separate brand pay-per-views. They're going to just combine all the pay-per-views again. Uh, What did you think of that decision? Did you think going to two pay-per-views and doing separate ones was too much at the time?
1: I think trying to do two a month was too much. I think that maybe doing alternating months would be fine because it would give people a rest. And that was, in my opinion, that should have been the ultimate goal to get to because it would have given – it just would have given you more of a rest in between pay-per-views. I think Vince wanted to initially – he wanted to have a pay-per-view from each brand each month, which would have been two pay-per-views a month. And at that point you're doing a pay-per-view every couple weeks. Um, so the decision was made. Let's, let's back off that and only do one a month and, and take it from there and see what works and how we can balance this out.
0: Uh, Chris Jericho was actually pretty vocal about the brand split and he didn't really, he wasn't necessarily for it. Do you remember any of the other boys kind of feeling like this brand split that we experienced in 02 was maybe a little bit of a miss?
1: I think that I don't know that it was a miss. I, I I disagree with it, that it was a miss. I think that the talent initially were worried about it because they didn't know. They didn't know what was going to happen. And I think that they looked at it like you're dividing us up and I'm used to traveling with my buddies. I'm used to hanging out. I've got my routine on the road with this guy and, and we work out together and we like to travel together. And now all of a sudden we were splitting that up. What we were looking to do was split the rosters and give more opportunity to more talent so that you had, you've got, for example, you have a hundred guys and you're drawing from that same hundred guys for both shows. If you split it in half, you have 50 and 50. So it, it just was an opportunity for more guys to have something to do.
0: You're exactly right. That was Jericho's chief criticism. He says, I think the brand extension threw a lot of people for a loop. A lot of guys lost their traveling partners, their workout partners, and a lot of potential match combinations were split in two. At the start, I did not appreciate the brand extension because it took a lot of guys. I had great match chemistry with and split them up for no apparent reason. Hopefully in the long run, it'll work out. I think that's what's caused a few problems in the ranks because a lot of people just did not know what was going on. A lot of people did not know where they stood or where the company stood. There was not a lot of communication revolving around that. I think in the long run, hopefully it'll work out for the best and create a lot more rivalries and storylines that people can get into. And he also says he wasn't happy about being moved from SmackDown to Raw. I was pissed when they moved me from SmackDown to Raw, but that's part of the business. I work for Vince. That's where he told me to go. So that's what I do. Do you remember there being some complaints amongst the boys that there wasn't a lot of communication here?
1: Well, there wasn't a lot of communication where people were going ahead of time because Vince wanted to keep that very close to the vest and he didn't want it getting out before we announced it. So he did keep that very close to the vest. He didn't communicate that with a lot of people. And made it made it tough for some people to do business that way, but it was something that he felt very important that we do. And the only people that really knew who was going where were were those of us on the creative team.
0: There's a big discussion in all the dirt sheets at the time about the potential of a Lennox Lewis, Brock Lesnar match. And we've never talked about this here on the show, but allegedly the negotiations are going pretty deep, uh, going back to October on into November between WWE and Lennox Lewis's lion promotions. Um, uh, mostly by phone, but they say it got serious enough that they actually met face to face in early October in New York so it would have been Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, Lennox Lewis, and his agent, uh, Adrian Ogden. So they come up with this concept of maybe a boxer versus a wrestler pay-per-view, and allegedly they offer Lennox Lewis $7.5 million before HBO has a say in this. Do you recall this ever being a serious conversation? Because allegedly they were looking at dates in February and Las Vegas and Maybe the undercard would have been Kurt Angle versus Butterbean to get the revenge match, and uh, it just feels like a weird time in the business for this to be discussed. But this is also the same guy who put together the XFL, so chat me up. What do you remember about Lennox Lewis and Brock Lesnar?
1: What revenge match are we getting? Well, Did I Kurt think a lot Butterbean of have a Angle or something. Well,
0: Butterbean knocked the fuck out of Bart Gunn, and I think a lot of wrestling fans would have liked to have seen Butterbean on his back like a turtle for 10 minutes as Kurt Angle took him
1: apart. (laughs) Um, it was very close. Well, no, I take that back. I, I don't know that it was very close, but it was very serious. And we had breached that concept. We had talked to Brock as to whether or not Brock felt confident that he could take a boxer. Uh, Lennox Lewis was the heavyweight champion at the time, I believe. Uh, but also Lennox was a, was a guy that we had done a lot of stuff with over the years. And, we were friendly with Lennox and it looked like it would be a good opportunity, but just didn't, didn't happen. Is it because of HBO or how does this deal fall apart?
0: Obviously an athletic commission may have had a problem sanctioning it. If you were trying to put lots of different rules in, it feels like they would have wanted it to be boxing or MMA, but some sort of hybrid they may have had a problem with. Right.
1: It was, it was a conversation about the rules, but I think that the, Essentially, what what did it was Lennox Lewis had a schedule, and Lennox Lewis still had, I think he had, I don't know, two or three fights left that he had contractually already been obligated to. That I think there was a little bit of hesitation that a, God forbid, he lost; b, he got injured, and that he wouldn't be able to fulfill the rest of his contract that he already had these obligated fights. So from Lennox's point of view i can do this one fight for x amount of money or and possibly screw up the remainder of his obligated fights that's really where it kind of fell apart was scheduling and trying to make it work out so that uh he lennox was just looking to maximize the rest of his boxing career mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry
0: from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
0: You guys were running a pay-per-view over in England rebellion on October 26th. And the main event has been advertised as Brock Lesnar versus the undertaker. But at the last minute, the undertaker can't make it because his wife, Sarah is about to give birth and he needs to go home. Uh, Obviously this didn't sneak up on anybody. She was very pregnant, but you guys continued to advertise him hoping he could make the date. But what sort of chaos does that create when all of a sudden you're, you can't deliver your main event. And, uh, maybe it could have been avoided maybe it couldn't have was somebody in uh, deep shit over that did somebody get some heat from vince or was it just understood that this is a gamble but it's a uk only pay-per-view so who gives a fuck
1: no we definitely give a fuck and it never looked at like that and when it was originally booked it wasn't an issue and oh she wasn't pregnant got, then? no she was pregnant but also at the same time she was having complications a lot earlier, and looked like she was going to have the baby a lot earlier than anticipated. So it throws a monkey wrench into things, and life happens sometimes, and that's what happened in this case. Hypothetically
0: speaking, is Vince like, uh,
1: God damn it, give me that baby? <laughs> no, but we did, you know, we we did uh, in anticipation of it. We did have the jet where we were planning on getting him back, but it just. So happened that it wasn't in his best interest and or hers for him to be out of the country.
0: I want to mention that there's a report in the torch here that says that, uh, a lot of the boys are not happy with the direction of raw and, uh, Vince and Stephanie have tried to set the tone with their enthusiasm and they're trying to just sort of defray any sort of skepticism or criticism. And even Kevin Dunn, is uh, really fired up about this new soap opera direction that you were mentioning. Did you guys have like specific meetings where you remember examples being given of this soap opera directive?
1: Every creative meeting that we had, we were reminded that we needed to have more soap opera in the shows and there needed to be more storyline in the shows. So that was an ongoing theme. And that was something that Vince was very serious about and he wanted to see more story. So that was, yeah, that was reinforced every single meeting.
0: Um, it's, there's a lot of speculation as to whether or not Kevin Nash is actually going to be back and when he'll be back. Did you guys have any sort of expectation as to when he would return from his torn quad? Did he meet the expectations that it take longer? It feels like quotes at the time have him coming out a little more defensive.
1: We by we meaning me or the creative team? No, we we really didn't. And especially here here's the thing, um, you know guys talk amongst themselves, and I think there were a lot of skeptics out there. Kevin especially at, at his age then was actually Kevin was in great shape. I think right now I got us saw picture of him the other day. He's in incredible shape. But at his age, you heal a whole hell of a lot slower than you did. Sure. When you were younger so there was doubt on our side as to whether or not Kevin would be even be back at the projected time. And there always was this thing. I'll never forget. Mark Merrow blew out his knee and, and really did a number on it. And they told him he would be out for six months. So Merrow got a trainer and he got this guy and, and he was determined to beat that time. And he, goes out and, and he works really hard and he strengthens everything, everything around his knee and does all this stuff so that he can come back in three months versus six months. Well, guess what happens because he didn't, he didn't allow his body the time to heal and to completely rehab itself from this surgery that he had, which was major surgery. He rushed it and he ended up being out a lot longer than six months. And that was a fear there's always a fear as far as, uh, guys that, that, you know, would, would rush their rehab and it would end up causing them a lot more pain and agony in the long run. So that was a fear with Kevin. And I think that Kevin kind of, uh, you know, Hunter had come back so quick, you know, and, and just Hunter was whatever, 10 years younger, whatever it is than, kevin was at the time and it wasn't an injury that you can rush and nobody was looking for him to rush it
0: well you know there's just been a lot of heat on kevin nash rightfully or you know whether he deserves it or not uh over the years about that quad injury and wrestling fans online have had a lot of fun trolling him with it i don't know that's necessarily fair but we'll get into that when we cover his run in the company around the same time in the torch it comes out that uh at least one report is that Brian Giewertz is the least popular person in the raw dressing room. Uh, but Wade had several people contact him and say, Nope, it's actually William Regal." A lot of people uh, perceive him to be a stooge based on his friendship with triple H. And, uh, he still presents himself as one of the boys, but they don't trust him. They say that he's moody and you never know how he'll show up and he'll go from being a genuine good guy where he's in a good mood to just someone you don't really want to be around. Did Regal have a little bit of a reputation as being a stooge at this point or one of Triple H's boys? Obviously these days he's like WWE royalty, but 15 years ago, was that the rap on him amongst the other guys?
1: Can't say I was in the the locker room all the time to hear that. And the fact that I liked William Regal and I was friendly with Ro- William Regal probably helped contribute to everyone else not liking him. And I like Brian Quartz as well. So, uh, I, I don't know that. I would necessarily share that sentiment at all. I thought that Regal was a professional and he was one of those guys that had been through, had his problems with drugs and different things. And he was a success story. William Regal was one of those guys I could point out and say, Hey, he went through the system. He screwed up. He went through rehab. He fixed his life. And is a great example to what you can do without all that crap in your life. And, I think that some people might have just kind of looked at, oh, goody two shoes. I don't I don't really know. I, I don't know what the knock on Regal is. I thought he was a great worker and a good guy.
0: Yeah, it kind of threw me off reading that because I don't know that I've ever read that about Regal, but I did hear it in the torch. And maybe that was just whoever was calling. Wade well, it has got
1: to be true if it's in the torch.
0: You know, I know we're having fun with that, and we do that a lot here on the show, but I do want to mention that I got all my research this week over at pwtorch.com, and if you've never checked that site out before, you should. My favorite thing on the entire site is the old archived issues of the torch, and that's what we're digging through today. Uh, We've talked a lot about Meltzer on this show, but Wade Keller's Torch Talk, in my opinion, is just incredible. It's a series of interviews that have more information than I've ever seen anywhere else. I was reminded of that uh, researching this particular show. Wade had just done an interview or a torch talk as he calls it with sean waltman and waltman describes in great detail the plane ride from hell more detail than i've seen anywhere else and it was fascinating so i dropped way a line to tell him that i loved that and uh, he offered a free trial to any of you guys who want to subscribe i can't believe it's real but for 50 cents that's right 50 cents you can get your first full month as a member at pwtorch.com forward slash conrad that's pwtorch.com dot com forward slash conrad and use my code conrad i want to be clear i'm not being paid to endorse this in any way i've paid for my subscription for 20 years i don't get a discount i'm not being paid to plug this Uh, i'm just mentioning it because i know we have a lot of smart wrestling fans who dig learning about this old stuff and here it is for 50 cents if you don't like it cancel it who cares it was 50 cents but if you love this stuff as much as i do I mean, you're going to be into it. and You're going to keep it a long time. I'm a legit 20 year subscriber, so I'm not selling you. I'm just offering you basically a free trial. Uh, it's 50 freaking cents. So go flip through torch talk. Tell me it wasn't worth it. PWtorch.com forward slash Conrad. Use my promo code Conrad. It's 50 cents. And then tune in. And then next I'll week. I'll tell
1: you the truth next week. Yeah, I was going
0: to say, and then tune in next week and, uh, we'll quote it again. And, and Bruce will shit all over it. Uh, I know I'm going to get lots of tweets about, Hey, why did you cover the torch and not the observer this week? Uh, Dave didn't have anything from O2 posted. Um, and, and Wade did, and Wade's got a lot more rumors in here anyway. So it's kind of fun. One of the rumors is that, uh, Terry Taylor is going to be hired back on as a road agent. And, uh, eventually the WWE website even says, Uh, that Taylor said he was leery of returning because he knew he'd rubbed many people the wrong way during his last stint with the company, but he appreciates Vince giving him another chance and says, he's trying to prove that he's a changed man. Uh, and essentially, if you remember the reason he was fired before is because he wouldn't sign like this non-compete that prohibits him from working for WCW if he were to quit or be fired from WWE. So when he's back here as a road agent, Is everybody, you know, on the inner circle, just sort of rolling their eyes like fucking this guy again, how was Terry Taylor received here?
1: Wait and see, Uh, you know, all you can do is give people an opportunity and, you know, uh, we, we play a lot with Terry Taylor here and at the end of the day, you got to give people an opportunity and you, and you got to give people a chance. And Terry loves the business. It's been his whole life and it was another opportunity for him. And he did what he could do. Uh, he was let go again by the company, but you know, Hey, he's back there now. It's, you know, this business is something that, you know, it, it comes back around for some people. And, um, you know, he loves the business. Not the most popular guy in the world, I'll tell you that. Well, you weren't either once upon a time. It happens. No, without a doubt. I'm I'm one of the most unpopular people in the world.
0: But you're over now, and um, we'll tell you how over in a little while. Test s- still has some heat here, according to the torch, because he refused to cut his hair to resemble Lance Storms when they were in the Un-Americans. Supposedly, he did agree to cut his hair, but not nearly as short as you guys had requested. Do you remember there being some sort of shmize about goddamn pal the hair's not short enough
1: no it it was an overall the un-americans just was not a good idea and it wasn't something well actually i take that back it was a good idea but it was something that the talent didn't embrace and that they were afraid in my opinion uh this is my opinion and others they were afraid of heat and they were uh You know, guys would say, well, I live in, I live in Tampa. I'm not non-American. It's a work. And it was trying to, you know, try and create a little bit of the magic that we had before with Bret Hart and, you know, that whole anti-American sentiment. They didn't embrace it. And that's where, you know, the heat was. And it wasn't just on test. It was on Lance Storm and uh, Christian as well. They didn't embrace the gimmick.
0: Around this same time, J.R. was doubling down on the gimmick, and his barbecue sauce was uh, getting a big push. And supposedly, he was trying to get it in stores by the next summer and making a lot of progress.
1: Well, we- let me tell you something about Jr.'s barbecue sauce. Since we're plugging stuff here, just if you haven't had an opportunity to taste Jr.'s barbecue sauce, I wholeheartedly encourage you to. And his uh, mustard is off the Chisart, and Chipotle ketchup is great. And that's just I gotta taste that shit when he was just making his in his kitchen. It's badass. So
0: catch me up. Um how does Vince react to cause I feel like there's probably a conversation between J.R. and Vince McMahon about barbecue sauce. And I mentioned this because, you know, obviously we fans have been led to believe that Vince could be just downright mean to Jim Ross at certain points in his career and just They kind of have a weird relationship and now he's trying to do a little side gig, but he's going to do it with a little bit of the WWE rub and it doesn't feel like Vince would be all for this. And he may not even like barbecue sauce himself. So chat me up about Jim Ross and his barbecue conversations with Vince McMahon.
1: Well, I'll share with you the conversations Jim Ross and I had, which was funny. Um, you know, when Jim did this barbecue sauce, it was, it is his own recipe and something that he and his wife, Jan had come up with. And it is excellent. Um, the, the home, the homemade version is, I don't know, man, the bottle version is pretty damn good, but Jim loved this sauce and this was his passion and this was his dream. So Vince got behind it and Vince got the company behind it, but now it, was time to incorporate the corporate types that would come in now to market the barbecue sauce. So he's got a bunch of people from New York City, and goddamn, Brucey, you know they got these people in there. Hell, they they wouldn't know a barbecued rib from a damn uh, pretzel. You know, hell, they are like, well, that don't taste like barbecue sauce. Well, I'm not sure that 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 flavor's the right flavor. They they don't even know what barbecue is. Real barbecue don't even need sauce, but the right sauce will enhance any meal. So he he would have these tastings at the office, and everybody would go around. They would have, like, a piece of bread and a cracker, and they would dip it in the sauce. And they would critique it, <laughs> and I think that Jim would get his feelings hurt sometimes because you're, you're dealing with people—I don't know, man, I, I just— I liked it. I thought it was great. So, yeah, I kind of took it personally, too. When I said, that's damn good sauce. And they would go, well, it needs a little bit more turmeric or it needs a little bit of this or that. And uh, I know that Jim was trying his best to make this damn thing work because it was a dream of his. And we eventually did get it to where he got to realize his dream, get his barbecue sauce out there. Vince was behind it.
0: Uh, one of the other things that's going down here is, uh, Nathan Jones has been scheduled for a November tryout match. And, uh, of course, Jones was once upon a time, a developmental worker. We know what's going to happen with Nathan, but who found him, who was for him, who was against him. I don't know when we'll talk about Nathan Jones again.
1: Nathan had sent in his, uh, he had sent in his tape, um, done some stuff down in Australia, obviously had a great look, uh, Wait, hang on so you got you guys
0: saw him wrestle and still hired him
1: no we didn't see him wrestle we we saw his stuff uh in the movies and his desire to be a wrestler and brought him in and thought that we could get him in and just with his size and his personality that we could get him on tv and then teach him once we got him here
0: so when he sends a tape in i mean what's he doing it's like a
1: sizzle reel for a movie or is he just essentially cutting a yeah. promo
0: to the camera okay
1: yeah, sizzle reel from some of the, some of his stuff, his strongman stuff, and his movie stuff. Anybody for it? Anybody? I mean, give me a
0: reaction. I'm trying to go you. Look some... at him! Good Thank you.
1: God, he's huge. Um, See, well, that's that, that hard... was it, man. He had an Australian accent and had personality, so we figured we'll get him here and we'll train this big bad. You can't teach size, right? Yeah, I mean,
0: look at Big Cass. He's seven foot tall, and you can't you teach can't that. Teach that. Um, Ray Mysterio scheduled to have a knee scope performed in December. Uh, and allegedly he's not going to miss that much time because he's doing it around the holidays. Uh, this is around the time where it feels like he's in and out a lot for the knee injuries. When did you guys know that this was going to be an ongoing issue with, with, uh, the style he had worked?
1: Uh, you know, not really until after this. and, And this was only like the, maybe the second one, but then you just have to start asking yourself that question, man, with everything that he's doing and the punishment that he's put his body through after all these years, you know, Ray started when he was 14 or 15 years old, right? Wrestling and taking all these bumps and putting all this punishment on his body. So that takes its toll after a while. And Ray was feeling the effects of that. at a lot earlier and younger age than most guys that started when they were 20, 22 years old. So Ray, by that point, Ray already has six, seven, eight years on him.
0: The torch would report around this same time that Bret Hart was said to be more open to returning to the WWE than ever before. And he had been in contact with Vince regularly since McMahon called him to wish him the best after he suffered the stroke earlier this year. We didn't really put a bow on last week's episode by addressing what that relationship was like but the rumor and innuendo is the first time they had a pleasant discourse. Obviously they had some run-ins along the way and some unpleasant stuff, but the first time they have something that's on pretty good terms is when Vince called the hospital after Brett had the stroke, right?
1: Yeah. And and Vince was, you know, everybody was genuinely concerned for Brett because it was, it's something. Brett was a young man and he had suffered a stroke and, had that injury on his bicycle and here, here, here he is out mountain biking. He's got his helmet on and next thing you know, he's in hospital. We really didn't know what kind of condition he was in. So Vince wanted to reach out and Brad has always had a special place with Vince. So yeah, this was, it was cordial and kind of opened up the door to start talking again.
0: Um, we didn't really talk about it last week, but, How receptive was he to the hall of fame? Did you guys try to get him in the hall of fame several times and he shot it down or Vince vetoed it? What did it take to finally get him to agree to do the hall of fame?
1: No, it was, it was suggested and Vince reached out and Brett came down and met with Vince, uh, in Boca and the rest, as I say is history, but it it was, we'd like to talk and they got together and met. Vince explained to him what he wanted to do and everything was cool from that point on. It's a good starting place.
0: You know, we kind of skipped on it earlier, but, um, when the Undertaker missed that UK pay-per-view edge winds up getting the nod to replace him. Did you guys feel like edge was a legit main eventer by Oh two. And do you remember like the moment when. He was no longer in the mid-card, intercontinental, European tag title hunt. He's now a top guy. Do you remember when that was? Like right
1: in this time frame, and and I think if you go back and you look, and especially internationally too, no different than Bret Hart was back in ninety, ninety three, whatever. Internationally, Edge was on fire. He, he got a much different response over there than he did even in the states and Canada.
0: Uh, one of the big stories around this same time, and of course, we're going to cover it on the show is that Scott Steiner, after more than a year of speculation has finally made a deal with the WWE. So it had have been in the sheets for like over a year that he was trying to come in or you guys were trying to get him to come in. But allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo, there were a lot of concerns about his physical ability to handle the WWE schedule. And he had some leg problems. He had some back problems. And people weren't really sold on him being able to work a full-time house show schedule as well. So catch me up, Bruce. What do you remember about Scott Steiner finally signing? Who was chasing him? How did it happen? What were the sticking points for that year?
1: Well, I know that, you know, when, uh, the big reason that Scott didn't come over originally was because of his contract issues. And Scott was one of those guys that still had a contract that was paying him good money with WCW and he chose to continue to get that money and sit out. There were concerns Scott had, I think it's called drop foot. And he had had some issues with that, even going back to his WCW days. But Jim Ross was definitely high on Scott Steiner, as was Johnny Ace, who had started working in the office with JR. And the opportunity arose where Steiner's contract was up with WCW and our AOL Time Warner at the time. He was available and there was some interest because we never had that incarnation of Scott Steiner in the WWF.
0: JR works really hard on his Ross report to sort of dispel some of this talk that these negotiations had been going on with Scott Steiner for a long time. He says they actually started on October 17th and he signed on October 22nd. So less than a week. Uh, And then he actually signed on a Tuesday and he's denying that there were long ongoing negotiations. Can you set the record straight? Do you remember it being a drawn out process or was it just guys kicking it around, but no serious talk until that point?
1: No, there, there wasn't any serious talk because he was still riding out his contract from AOL. Once he became available and you know, we had all that information. We knew when guys contracts were up and I believe J.R. reached out to him. I don't remember it being a long drawn out process at all. I wasn't involved in it. But it was best of my recollection was, Hey, Scott Steiner's available. Uh, we got him. Let's go.
0: At that point, did guys have to go take a physical before they could get signed to a deal? I know these days they have to go to Pittsburgh and do all kinds of tests. In no two, does that have to happen?
1: I think, I don't know if they did pre-contract at that time, but once you signed your contract, you did have to go through a physical, do all your blood work and do all of that stuff. Yes. But I don't know if it was like pre-contract like they do now. At that point, that didn't really start till maybe oh four. So well, after Eddie, maybe I
0: guess Eddie yes. was oh five. Um, five. Catch me up about the the checkup because you just kind of alluded to the fact that Scott had drop foot. I know that's something that we've read, but wouldn't that come out on a physical, and then the doctor say, "Oh, well, he can't wrestle."
1: Well, he did wrestle for years with it. And it wasn't something that, that prevented him from wrestling. So it was something that, you know, Hey, football players play with drop foot. They're athletes that are able to do it and continue to do it. If you didn't know Scott had drop foot, you know, you wouldn't know. Watching him perform.
0: He comes in and signs a multi-year deal and, uh, given his, you know, we fans have been led to believe that he's kind of got a little bit of a reputation for being volatile did he have that same reputation in the office? You know, we just kind of addressed the rumors that maybe there were concerns about him being able to go with these injuries, but did he have a reputation for being difficult to work with or a hothead or volatile.
1: I think that there was that rumor and innuendo that he was difficult to work with from my vantage point, especially then I never had a problem with Scott. I remember everybody was so afraid to ask Scott to drop the, WCW championship at the last nitro, and it was a non issue. Um so, you know, coming in and, and Jim Ross did the negotiations and Scott coming in, he was fine.
0: Um around this same time, Mick Foley backs out of a scheduled WWE internet interview uh because of the whole Katie Vick angle. He didn't like it and actually goes on the offensive a couple days later. And criticizes it at a speech that he's giving at Southern Illinois University. And uh, he's saying that he was invited by Vince McMahon to be a quote-unquote secret consultant that would help save the WWE product. But he's still out here being somewhat critical of it. And feels like the whole concept of tough enough is ridiculous and doesn't agree with the necrophilia stuff. What was the, uh, you know, it feels like at this time, There was a stretch here where Mick Foley had like a hot and cold relationship with Vince. What was it like at this point?
1: (laughs) You know, it it was always hot and cold with Mick. And I think Mick goes through cycles. Mick is an extremely passionate person that wears his feelings on his sleeve and is going to say what he thinks at any given time. And he is, he's not going to hold back and he's not going to sugarcoat things, which is one of the reasons that, you know, Vince loved him so much because you always knew what you were going to get with Mick. So. Mick, you know, this time was, I know Brian Gwertz always loved Mick and always wanted to, you know, come up with something for Mick because he was just such a great performer. And he was one of those guys that you could give a little piece of creative to, and he could run with it and make it more than you ever could dream of. So, you know, Mick ran it. It it was kind of like a roller coaster. There were a lot of ups and downs with Mick throughout the time, but uh, I don't know that there was ever really a period that Vince in particular was like, ah, screw Mick Foley. I don't know if they ever said that. I think that we all kind of look at people, at least I try to. You look you look at them for their good and their bad. Try to remain on the good.
0: It also comes out in the torch around this time that the company is going to be making corporate layoffs. Uh apparently business is down a little bit, and Linda McMahon has come out and given some indicators that they're going to be making uh considerable cuts. Do you remember there being a little bit of concern? in the business at this point, that, hey, uh, we've definitely hit our peak, and we're on our way down. Ratings are down a little bit. We're going from two pay-per-views a month to one pay-per-view, and now we're doing layoffs. It feels like the hits are kind of coming uh, in succession here for the company.
1: You know, when you've been in the business as long as I had, uh, it's to me, we call that Wednesday. And it just... A real, you know, it's a real part of business that, you know, sometimes you have good years and you have bad years. And unfortunately, there are times when you have to do layoffs and layoffs and having to let people go from their jobs is something you never look forward to. But when that happens and you start seeing uh, several people being laid off at one time, I think everybody gets worried if if that person uh, can be let go, then, you know, good God, am I next? So there's always concern whenever that happens. Um, But then, you know, there are those of us that can get kind of callous to it and you just think, hey, it's another day.
0: There's another story coming out around this same time that says that Hogan and McMahon had a little bit of an issue about Hogan's biography. Of course, the WWE is going to be releasing it. But in the book, Hogan talked about Vince McMahon's drug use and infidelity, but he didn't necessarily fess up to his own. And Linda spoke out against this, and she didn't think that it was fair, and she actually argued with the publishers about it. And Hogan is a little offended that the WWE personnel got a chance to read the manuscript before the publishers got it, or before he got a copy. Um, What do you remember about this? It feels like there's some sort of compromise because the book comes out, but still, Hogan and Vince arguing about who can we chat about And what can we share and what can we reveal?
1: Do you remember that being a discussion in the office? I mean that that's a discussion on all of those books that they published as far as, you know, what was going to come out and what wasn't. And that is something that has been an ongoing ongoing issue because all of that would go through, you know, people in the office. And for example, you know, the Kurt Angle book was they they changed a story. They changed, well, they changed a lot of stories in the Kurt angle book just because they felt, well, you talk about that guy too much. So let's just, let's say this guy did it or just change the stories to try and, and fit whatever story they wanted to tell. And Kurt at the time was just wanting to get along. It was like, Oh, okay. So there, there was a lot of that going on and they're the ones, publishing the book and they're the ones behind it and going to be promoting it. So yeah, they're going to get the the manuscript to make sure that they can approve everything before it goes out. Well, it's not affecting
0: ticket sales, at least for survivor series here. Of course, eventually we're going to talk about survivor series 2002. And I'm sure Bruce is annoyed with me, but um, the previous gate record for Madison square garden was 1.1 million. And that was for Royal rumble 2000. And this show here at survivor series Uh, sold out in four days and broke that record right away. Isn't it interesting to talk about the business like this, where just a minute ago, we're talking about layoffs. And then a few sentences later, we're talking about record business. How frustrating is that?
1: It can be very frustrating sometimes, but it's once we went public, all of that, you know, the way that we had done business in the past, all that changed. And it was a whole different set of circumstances.
0: There's a a lot of rumor and innuendo in the torch here that says one of the early ideas for survivor series was a Brock Lesnar, Hulk Hogan, main event. Uh, But allegedly Hogan refused to put over Lesnar a second time. And, uh, after Hogan backed out, McMahon supposedly debates whether or not to have a title match with big show or Chris Benoit. Do you remember there ever being a discussion about the original main event for this being Brock Lesnar, Hulk Hogan?
1: No, because we didn't want to do it again. I I do not remember that at all. I think that's just kind of rumor and innuendo and bullshit. Well, since we're talking about
0: silly rumors from um, Survivor Series here, let's talk about a silly rumor for the Royal Rumble. Wade reported around this same time that you guys were at least kicking around the idea of doing two rings for the Royal Rumble, one for SmackDown and one for Raw. But eventually that idea was thrown out do you remember that ever even being kicked around two rings for the two different brands?
1: The, the two ring idea is something that I had suggested going back to when I first started in the company in 1987, the two ring idea was a complete ripoff, uh, from Paul Bosch and the two ring battle Royals in Houston, where we used to set up, For in January, we would always have two rings and have a big 22-man, two-ring battle royal. And in that night, we did a a tag team match, which was a six-man tag team match. And in each ring, you would have a match. All right? So two people would start in ring one, two people would start in ring two. And in the middle was the third member that could tag into either ring. I thought it was a great concept and really neat. Um, Obviously, we shot TV a lot different back in those days. And I would always suggest, hey, why don't we do this two-ring thing? Vince hated the two-ring idea for the sole reason that it killed too many ringside seats. And it was difficult to shoot because of how you would have to have your hard camera set up and you would eat up more. It's just eating up more real estate for ticket sales. So we never did it. So that was something I would always try and bring up. Every couple of years, see if he had changed his mind, but it was never going to happen in the garden.
0: Well, you know, that was for the rumble, uh, you know, so let's talk a little bit about, well, go ahead.
1: No way. And, and that was, yeah, but it was an arena and he would, con- you say, ah, if we're running a stadium, maybe. And even in the stadiums, he wouldn't consider it.
0: Let's talk a little bit about China because it's announced around this same time and China's working for new Japan pro wrestling. It's announced around the same time that she is engaged to Sean Waltman and Waltman had recently in this same year quit the company. And you can read all about that in uh, the torch. Chat me up about the way this is received that your top star once upon a time, one of your top stars, China is now working for new Japan but she's also hooked up with Sean Waltman. We've never really talked about that before, but he of course is a very close friend to triple H we know John and triple H's relationship. What was the talk of the office about them getting together and neither one of them working for the company?
1: You know, I, I don't think beyond the whispering and the, you know, the rumor and innuendo, no one really knew they were both kind of on the outs and they were with the exception of China, Sean wasn't doing a whole lot of wrestling at the time. And Sean was kind of on that outside looking in and no one that I definitely had any contact with. There was not a lot of communication with Sean. And I think there was just the whispers and the rumor and innuendo of all. Can you believe, you know, Hunter's best bud is now dating his ex-girlfriend. So beyond that, there wasn't a lot of, okay, so she's working for new Japan. All right. Good for her.
0: Just that simple, that easy,
1: yeah, you know guys when they leave here they're going to go to work somewhere else, sure, and that's just the fact of life.
0: do you remember there being some sort of concern that Hogan might not come back? you know the, it feels like um there were reports around the same time that he was having conversations with all Japan and k one and maybe flirting with the idea of doing a match with Bill Goldberg. He'd obviously turned down the opportunity to come back and work with Brock was they, and they're working on a book for him. So it feels like an interesting time because you don't want to promote the book if he's working somewhere else, but it seems like he has that flexibility. Was this just Hogan being Hogan or was there more of a
1: concern than that? It was Hogan being Hogan. And that's just the reality of, of working with Hogan because of who he was. And he would always, he had that relationship with Vince that allowed him to speak up and do what he wanted a lot of times. So for us, it was, we looked at it as, okay, that's, that's Hulk being Hulk.
0: We get lots of questions about the WWE WWF name change and the torch reported around this same time that the world wildlife fund still planned to sue world wrestling entertainment again, despite changing their name to WWE a few months prior. Apparently the Telegraph in the UK reported that lawyers are going to take the company to the court again, claiming damages worth several million pounds. Of course, the debate about the initials was settled in June. Um, but the wildlife fund would claim that the wrestling group has continued to misuse the WWF initials in a damaging way. And of course, Vince responds and calls this offensive and uh, an, unpre- an unprecedented move for a charity to be engaged in. When, when you guys changed your fucking name and they still came after you because of the way the initials were used, which is why, and we get this question all the time, uh, wh- why on this show do they bleep out the words or the letters WWF? Well, this is it. But when this comes down, this has to be felt, you know, this feels like they're just trying to pick a fucking fight, does it not?
1: Without a doubt. And it was just so, you know, first of all, the ruling, in my opinion, was just so arbitrary because we had, you know, we did beat them to registering everything. We were in existence longer, blah, 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 everything. And in my opinion, they beat us on a technicality the fact that they registered in the United Kingdom, which was cons- considered uh, first use for an international usage. Um, we had registered everything over here. But anyway, you know, we lost, we lost that battle. And this was just continuing to jump on and to try and make it even more difficult for us to do business, which led us to going to the WWE and everything else. But it was especially after the fact that they turned down so much money to be donated to charity, if they would just go away type thing and let it go. And when you say, Hey, we're a charity. We're a nonprofit group. We're just all about donations. Well, here's a huge donation, more money than you have had there in years. Let this go. And they say, no, we're going to fight you on it. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan.
0: Something else we get a lot of questions about is the relationship Stone Cold has with WWE, because over the years, it feels like there's been a lot of stop and start. And I know we've all seen where his bio would like move around on the website and lots of guys have done this, but around this same time, you see some of the archives being removed, any mention of him, you see some of the interviews and columns that were up about him taken down. A lot of the merchandise backlog was cut out. The bio is gone from the menu. Um, he's even removed from the chat. They had a stonecold.com and instead it just lists all the different superstars now. But we know Austin, you know, in hindsight is going to be back in a few months. What was going on during this time to cause this stop and start with Steve Austin being featured with the company?
1: I, you know, I, I really don't know. And sometimes that would be internal things (laughs) that Vince may, may have done, but from us on a creative standpoint, that wasn't something that we were involved in that we would go in and say, okay, Hey, nobody mentioned Steve Austin for us. He wasn't there part of that creative at the time. So we didn't have any dealings in that for them to, there was never a mandate to us don't mention Steve or anything like that. Vince may have had that mandate and told uh, the .dot com folks, "Hey, let's back off of this. Let's put our things in a different area." So that can be misconstrued sometimes, where guys will take it. Up, you know, oh, Vince said, "Don't make Austin references at all. Go get rid of everything Austin." And that may not have been what he meant, or what he meant by what he said. And I don't know what he said, you know, or, or what that mandate was. But a lot of times, people can misconstrue things and move in a direction that is not necessarily the direction that Vince intended
0: kind of a fun deal here. The WWE gave all access to a Boston globe reporter for raw. And he wrote about his experience in the paper. Uh, he wrote that, uh, a little past noon, Vince McMahon quote strides into a room at the fleet center, uh, to map out that night's show seated behind four row of tables. There were several writers, announcers, producers, and agents, McMahon thumbed through a third draft of the script for the show and previewed 11 segments on the show, making tweaks and suggestions. For instance, when he said Victoria punched Lawler in the crotch, it shouldn't be played off as comedic regarding the main storyline on the show. Tonight we're teasing Sean all the way through by the end of the night, you're dying to see Sean come out. And the reporter would say that the raw production had 17 trucks, six boxes, and a production crew of more than 130 people headed by former photographer Steve Taylor. They'd start setting up at 7 a.m. And then around 5 p.m., a smaller meeting with Vince, Stephanie, Kevin Dunn, and several writers who all appear to be in their 20s uh, would all meet. And McMahon would say, I try to be as involved as I can. But at the same time, I try to delegate. And at 1130, after the show, the agents and writers are a party to a post-show meeting with McMahon where he would offer critiques for individual wrestlers, and um he he noted on this particular night that vince said almost every single segment was way too long too much backstage how much of this description do you think the the globe reporter got right
1: well i like the fact that he said i appeared to be in my 20s is that good marijuana Um, keeps you young No, i mean that's pretty damn accurate that that's that's in a lot of respects you know Uh, from a very vague and an overview to condense it down that that's what our day was um yeah we we (laughs) started we started early and ended late and had way too many meetings
0: um one of the meetings i'm sure was about the world we're going to talk about its appearance here on the show the former wwf new york Well, around the same time, the former manager of the world was arrested for fraud, he had billed over $400,000 to a phony construction company and pocketed all the cash. Uh, the WWE discovered the transgression during a routine auditing of its expenses. So chat me up. This dude, um, Kenton Jenkins was making like 195 grand a year with you guys, but he's stealing money uh, out the back door, left and right. And allegedly, had he not embezzled the club may have done better, and he might still have a job, but of course, now he's out of here because he had to pay off his mortgage and a speedboat, and uh he's up to serve fifteen years and it's all over the papers. How embarrassing is this for Vince and the company when somebody can snatch four hundred thousand dollars right out from under you
1: well, you know it's not right out from under you when somebody's doing that unfortunately, you know embezzlement takes a lot of <laughs> Vince doesn't look at his books every single day and see what everybody's doing in in the company. And this guy had control of the nightclub at the time and was siphoning off quite a bit of money. And it was during a time that we found out that the head of, um, uh, licensing and distribution and all that stuff had done something similar. And this was one of his people. So there was an internal investigation in the company and just kind of looking at all aspects of the business and taking a look at everybody's individual books that had been entrusted before. And it was a time where Vince started pulling in the reins a little bit and being able to look at things with people that he trusted and had been with him for a long time to say, what the hell is going on? And it happens. It happens in every business, unfortunately. But yeah, this was a big one. And and you say, Would the world have continued? Maybe it would have, maybe it wouldn't have, but, uh, there were some, man, sometimes there were some just horrible, uh, personnel decisions that were made, but you don't know that till you make them and you get into it and get burned. Well, Let's talk about the
0: pay-per-view. Let's get to it. Survivor series, 2002. Um, I kind of felt like watching this back Bruce and correct me if I'm wrong at this point, wouldn't it have been a little difficult I mean, don't you feel less challenged creatively than when WCW's around? I mean, can you? Do you guys feel like just internally in the meetings? Hey, we're not cranking out as good as shit because nobody's challenging us.
1: No, you know, you really don't. But I think that if there had been competition and there had been somebody challenging it, I think that we definitely would have. I mean, I'm answering yes and no to the question, <laughs> but you always want to think that you're going to do your best, but I, I know from history, I know from experience that when you got somebody nipping at your heels or somebody kicking your ass, you're fighting harder.
0: Heading into this pay-per-view the prior month, as we touched on was no mercy. And, uh, the main event there is a hell in a cell with the undertaker and Brock Lesnar. And that's obviously a chief component of what we're going to be talking about here, because Brock Lesnar's coming in as the champ He's undefeated at this point. Rookie of the year, winning the belt in his first year. Brock Lesnar's O2 is something we should cover in long form sometime. How would you describe his O2?
1: Brock Smash. Incredible. You know, here here's a kid coming out of college and going into OVW and spending his time down there honing his skills and came in as the next big thing. And that's how we referred to him and then that became his moniker on air. As the next big thing. And he definitely lived up to it. It's rare that you get an athlete like Brock Lesnar to come into the fold. And he lived up to the hype. As we head into this match with Brock Lesnar and big show,
0: there's lots of rumor and innuendo that these guys are not getting along. Apparently uh, show is unhappy with how stiff Brock has been. And Lesnar is not happy because he feels like big show was reckless and that led to a rib injury and a house show. Uh, so these guys are, are not pleased with each other. And and Jim Ross even says something like big show is difficult to motivate and acts like a big 12 year old a lot of times. Uh, but and you laughed at that, so you feel like that's accurate.
1: <laughs> it could be accurate at times. Yes. Big show. Big show is a big sensitive teddy bear. And he can be childlike at times. And, and he, he's very sensitive and just one of the, you know, you look at him, and he's a big seven foot monster, but he's one of the sweetest seven foot monsters you'll ever meet in your life.
0: Lesnar. Um, here's what Wade Keller wrote. Lesnar isn't the most classy person in how he handles himself either. Not the least of which was the incident with Kurt on the flight home from Europe. Wade would write that Brock has a jock bully mentality a lot of the time and was still acclimating himself to the pro wrestling world where 22 year olds don't reign as King, no matter how big their pushes are, or how successful their amateur careers were. Did you feel like that was an accurate description of Brock? Was he maybe immature and uh, maybe a bit of a bully?
1: No, I really never saw that side of him. I saw him as being naive and, he was a young kid in, in a world that, uh, he really didn't know before, but I never saw him being a bully and I never really, no, I never really saw that in him. I, I just think that he was, he was naive when he first came in and he was a young kid. I mean, he was a Iowa farm boy or wherever the hell he was from. At least on
0: the internet, you know, Brock Lesnar is getting put over by big show, big show tells the WWE website. That exemplifies the fact that he's a superhero. Here's a guy with a broken rib, not fractured. I'm talking about broken clean in half at any minute. Any one of those bumps he did could have had a rib shoved through his lung, but he sucks it up, goes out there, throws around a 500 pound guy. Like I'm 150 pounds does the job. He did what nobody else in the business has ever done to me. Do you remember the rib injury being that serious that it could have punctured a lung and he's still out there wrestling? yes how did you guys allow that what the fuck
1: um different time different place and we protected him we made sure that you know there there wasn't going to be anything in that area and that whatever we did there that he was protected in that regard but he's again world-class athlete that wanted to go out there and perform and do everything that he could and show everybody that nothing can stop him and i mean he's a cock strong son of a bitch man i mean i between big show brock lesnar mark henry john cena and kane probably the five of the strongest men i've ever seen in my life so let's
0: talk about the uh the card itself you watched it this week i assume for the first time in 15 years or is this something you go back and check out
1: oh no i watched this one at least twice a week no this was the first time
0: uh, so Bischoff of course is a central figure in this show because he's back having just brought back the big gold belt and, uh, he is trying to promote against Stephanie McMahon who's running SmackDown and he says she can't compete with this evolution in the business and he's really pushing that the business is evolving and, uh, that this chamber, this elimination chamber is the most ingenious creation of this evolution, Uh, they're hyping this up as 20,000 pounds and Jim Ross, as you know, the night goes on, even says that this is, you know, sort of, um, akin to the war games, chat me up about how this elimination chamber comes to be, because it feels like something you guys would have worked on for a long time. And I'm sure somebody somewhere gets credit for this being a brainchild of theirs.
1: Nope. Uh, This was a group effort. This was in a meeting in a hotel room in Nashville, Tennessee, talking about something different, looking at Hell in a Cell and and trying to come up with a structure and a different type of match that had never been done before. And the pods came up, the elimination came up, and it was just conceded by a bunch of people in a room. And everybody throwing in ideas, not one person that came up with it. But I will say this, that it is a a prime example of why people that are not in the wrestling business uh, should never build any kind of device or anything that wrestlers are going to have to perform in and wrestle in. Because this was – it was constructed by people, um, production people that had never taken a bump and that had never you know, had to perform in this and thought, well, it looks cool and it's really solid and it'll hold up, but they didn't have to take a bump into it or on it.
0: You said a hotel room in Nashville. Did you guys go from uh, fucking the brains out of Katie Vick to creating the Elimination Chamber? Is that the same Nashville trip? I think it was the same Nashville trip. Yeah, it had to be. That's like book of bad ideas weekend right there, isn't it, buddy?
1: Well, I think that the the cell's pretty damn good idea.
0: I think the boys would disagree.
1: Chat me up. Oh a, no, the cell. No, 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 no. The the cell idea is a good idea. You mean the ch- you keep the, saying cell, but you mean chamber? Chamber. You know what I meant. the The chamber. Yes, but the construction of it. Yeah. So you said
0: production people. Let's name some names. Uh, who put this together? Do you recall?
1: Um, I, I don't, I forget the name of the company. It was a, a company out of Nashville, Tennessee that actually did it. And they, they built it and they put this thing together. The, you know, we always used to make fun of the, you know, 400 miles of chain. This is real solid steel, steel that feels like steel. Um, it, it just was Hey, they were great promos. It's a, it's a tremendous contraption. It is the most unforgiving, painful, uh, thing in the world, man. And the guys, you know, got on it and it's like, oh my God, this has no give at all. Uh, very unforgiving and difficult to work in.
0: Um, when did the guys first see it day of. I mean, this is a little ridiculous. Tell me how this comes to be where you guys are promoting, you know, a match that you've never even, you know, for a structure that you've never even seen and expecting the guys to
1: work in it. Well, I mean, you know, we had the idea. It sounded good. So get out there and do it. There's a lot of times it's first time guys are seeing it when they get there, but it was, you know, I don't think that, anybody really took into consideration the the unforgivingness of, of the damn thing and they got there that day and and crudos to the talent you know did the best they could with what they had um when you guys first I get, say crudos you did but I mean it's kudos
0: cool. I, I got you yeah,
1: I mean, um you know
0: when you guys first get to the building is the thing already set up sure is um how long does it take to set this up Do your call? Oh,
1: I have no idea. None at all. We, when we got there, it was there. And as soon as we got there, we walked out to look at it and go, Oh my God, is it stiff
0: from a construction standpoint? Is this something you guys draw out on like a sheet of paper or a napkin and then it becomes something with blueprints or do they just roll with the original sketch?
1: No, the, the guys, you know, we, we laid it out to the production company that was going to construct it and gave them the idea and they sketched it out and Vince approved it. And then they, they went to work on the damn thing.
0: Um, just free part, you freestyle for me, ballpark it. What do you think this thing costs to make?
1: Oh God, I have absolutely no idea. Several thousand dollars. Well, duh.
0: Is this a hundred thousand dollars less
1: more? Oh, less than a hundred thousand. Yeah. I, I I have no idea how much 800 miles of chain and solid steel steel costs. Well, I'm just
0: saying you don't know what it costs to do remodeling at the world either. So you overpay a contractor four hundred thousand um, dollars. Yeah, the uh, the plexiglass is something that has been, you know, you guys hype up that it's bulletproof, bulletproof, and then you throw a motherfucker through it, <laughs> which is hilarious. O- only yeah. in wrestling, it feels very WCW like. Who decides to call it bulletproof? And
1: I mean, just, I don't know, defend that shit. Well, I can't defend it. I don't know who the hell told them it was bulletproof. And that may have, that may have been something that Lawler just, because Lawler is the only one that I remember saying it was bulletproof. And I think it was something that Lawler just did in describing the damn thing and comes back bite him in the ass later on. I don't know. Anybody told him to say bulletproof. Cause we had always planned on, you know, going through the damn thing.
0: So of course, when we start the pay-per-view, the chamber is at the top of the ceiling inside Madison square garden, and they're doing a lot of cool shots of it and talking about it. And Taz is looking up and putting over, don't come down now and all this stuff. But, um, when the, the chamber finally does come down and they get it set up and I know I'm jumping around a little bit. Eric comes out and he has like a lead pipe in his hand and he goes around just smacking the different parts of the thing. And I guess he's trying to do the old magician thing. Like, look, no tricks. This really is steel. Is that solid a solid steel uh, sal, salad? steel. Is this a, a Vince McMahon idea or, you know, just a way to demonstrate how, how tough it is. And I mean, the boys in the back have to be like, what the fuck are we doing?
1: Oh, the idea is to go out there and show that there's no give in this thing, that he's got this lead pipe that he's hitting it with everything that he's got. And there's no give. And this is the most unforgiving structure that has ever been conceived and the most unforgiving structure that no matter how hard they go into, it's not going to give, it won't yield. The only thing that can yield is their bodies and the flesh and their bones. So you got to sell this structure is the most unforgiving craziest structure in the history of the wrestling business. It's got a top on it. There's no way in, there's no way out, which we'll get to, uh, you know, when we get to the match, but it's, it's just to try and, and get this, the structure itself over even before the match ever begins. And then once you get into it, you, you sell all of that as well. I think Lawler went into business for himself on that, on the whole bulletproof shit. Um, it's bulletproof, but it's not
0: Canadian proof. Jericho can just fly right through it.
1: Obviously not. Yeah. Just right on through good God. Well, let's talk about, you know, the actual card itself.
0: Of course, we're opening up here to, uh, a fun little theme song that I hadn't heard in a long time. Uh, saliva did the theme song here um always is the name of the song and it was a hit especially here in, in huntsville alabama redneck huntsville alabama loved this song it was on my local radio station rocket 95.1 shout out to cassio kid uh, a long time your relationship with saliva though feels like you guys had a pretty good relationship around this time you're using a lot of their songs they were doing the concert for you here at the world What was your relationship with like with it? Did you ever have any interaction with those guys?
1: No, I never did. Their their basic relationship was one of a a kind of a trade-off in that we produced a lot of their music. We had the music production company and we produced a lot of their music in return to use it on the different promotions that we had. We used, used it for entrance music. We used it for the pay-per-view stuff. So it was a trade-off to give them exposure and to get them out and get, you know, millions of eyeballs on them and millions of ears to hear their music.
0: Well, of course, uh, up first, um, we've got, uh, Bubba Ray Dudley and he's going to be teaming with Jeff Hardy and their third partner is Spike Dudley. And they're going to be taking on three minute warning with Rico. It's my first time seeing this match in a long time. Uh, the crowd was pretty hot for it though, because this is a tables match and it's by elimination, So you guys are starting the pay-per-view off with a bang. What'd you think of the match?
1: I thought that the match was excellent. Um, just going back and, you know, people in even especially then they, they didn't realize Rico was a hell of a worker. And for whatever reason, Vince just felt that he was too old and couldn't really be marketed being taken seriously it wasn't because of his size. He was a decent size. He was a hell of an athlete and I thought he was a good worker, but all six of these guys in this match, I thought were superb. You know, people remember Rosie. They remember him with the hurricane and kind of a cartoon character as Rosie. And and you forget, you know, about Jamal Eki, who later on became Umaga. These guys could go. I mean, Bubble was younger and bumping all over the place and doing great. And then you add to that spike who right there with every single thing they needed and the coup de gras, the insanity of Jeff Hardy. I, I, I watched the mouth, the, the match with my mouth hung open, just at the craziness of some of the stuff that Jeff Hardy did in this match.
0: They go 11 minutes and 22 seconds. Wade would give it three stars in the observer uh, the first thing I would notice right out of the start is that, uh, Bubba's here with Spike and not Devon. And I had to remind myself that Devon at the time was on SmackDown. Uh, they come out to a, we want tables chant, of course. And, uh, I was shocked at how much Rosie looks like Roman. Uh, if you haven't seen this in a while, I encourage you to go out of your way to see this because there's a moment where they get a, a shot of him like on a knee and he like looked towards the camera and i guess i was making notes but i looked up and i thought what the fuck is roman doing oh wait that's not roman uh i mean these guys look like they could be twins of course they're not but
1: yeah and and you go back in the 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 bump that jeff hardy takes off the vomitorium there did you call that a
0: vomitorium yeah the vomitorium that's a great word now talk to me about the vomitorium i've never heard it called that before bruce you don't know what a vomitorium is. I assume it's the bars that you lean over to throw up. I get that, but where did you first well, in, hear that? In
1: ancient, in ancient Rome, and in the Colosseum in Rome, the entryway where you come in, kind of from underneath, and you go up to the seats, that was called a vomitorium, and that's where the Romans all used to go and get drunk, and they would have their uh, the Bacchanalian feast. And then they would go over to the vomitorium and that's where they would vomit. So when arenas are built, they call those vomitoriums and that's usually the entrance onto the floor. And the vomitorium is that overhang from the seats up above. And to this day, they still call it the vomitorium and Jeff Hardy going up there and taking the dive off the vomitorium onto, I believe it, uh, I believe it was Jamal. Oh my God. I, I, you know, I, I, I knew what was coming and it just was insane how far he leapt to, to get to that. It was crazy. One of the questions I had when I saw this spot is
0: this is the same spot. You guys had him do this, I believe for Royal rumble 2000. So once you kind of set a precedent that, Hey, Jeff's going to jump off of that. People kind of expect it. I mean, even now around WrestleMania time, when Shane McMahon's on the car, people start looking around like, okay, what's he going to jump off of here? Did you feel an expectation? Did Jeff feel an expectation? Did the company say, Well, Jeff, you know you gotta jump off of this, or did he jump at
1: the chance? What was that like? Unfortunately both. I, I think there was, you know, we all we always used to laugh and joke. Uh that Michael Hayes would you know if that's the first thing Michael would do, would walk into the building and go, What well, can Jeff jump off of? Hey Jeff, like you do something do a swan taunt off of that up there And you'd have to get the binoculars out to look and go, What the hell are you talking about, Michael? Up there and, um, it would be some obscure perch 800 miles away. But unfortunately, Jeff would always go, oh yeah, that'd be cool. And then I could do one off of that. And <laughs> He would see something even higher and more dangerous. So, you know, Jeff is a daredevil at heart and was always, Jeff was always looking for that next bump and that next spectacular. Holy shit moment.
0: A lot of people are speculating around this time that Jeff Hardy is not motivated And his brother doesn't really help any of this. When Matt goes on the "bite this, uh, episode over on wwe.com at the time. And he says something like, I think Jeff has a passion for the business, but I am tonal vision, WWE and tonal vision sports entertainment. And Jeff, I think he enjoys wrestling, but he also enjoys music and poetry. And doesn't have time to do all these things. Then Jeff's not enjoying himself. He just can't focus completely on wrestling. That just won't do for him. And the other thing is that Jeff's personality is all, oh, well, okay, man, I'll do this when I get there. And then I'll do this. When I do that, it means he's going to be late and it means it's irresponsible in some scenarios, but that's just his personality. It's one of the things that's made him so popular here too, because people buy into that and understand that he's such a carefree guy. I don't think he'll walk away. I just don't think he's obsessed with it. Like I am. It's part of my blood And if I wouldn't be wrestling in the WWE, I would start my own little company and I'd be wrestling in some way, shape, or form. And a lot of people in the business thought that was a fair assessment. And the torch even reported that Vince himself would go out of his way to compliment Jeff on, uh, anything that he did that was good because he wanted to try to encourage him to get that fire back that he had a few years prior. Was that an accurate wrap that the company maybe felt like Jeff had maybe lost some passion for the business?
1: Spot on. I don't know that Jeff ever had the passion that Matt had and absolutely spot on what Matt said because, you know, Jeff could take it or leave it. And Jeff is happy doing his music. Jeff's happy doing his art. And and right now I would dare say that Jeff is, is just as happy, you know, being around his, his daughter and his wife. He's a homebody. He loves that. He loves performing, but he loves performing in his own way and doesn't have, or at least didn't have the same passion for the business that Matt has always had since day one. Well, this is, um, one hell of a match to
0: really showcase his daredevil skills. They do a spot here, uh, where they have, um, Jeff throw a table at Jamal's head. And I guess the table hit him on the head with the metal. And you could hear this thing echo through the building and then Hardy jumps on the guardrail and starts running towards him and actually trips and falls off. But this is quite a sequence here. what did you make of that table shot to Jamal's head?
1: Watching it in 2017, just sent shivers up and down my spine, um, figuratively and literally, because you just, again, going back and looking at all the effects, it, it was a brutal brutal match and you could watch Jeff. Jeff loved to do that spot where he would run along the rail. Right. And the fear of doing that spot all the time was that kid just putting his hand out on the rail that one time and, and Jeff slipping and falling and those damn things they're slippery as it is anyway. And in this case, yeah, Jeff slipped and kind of took himself out. But at the same time, hell, it looked like a spot.
0: Well, it worked, especially when it sets up jamal putting him on a table and then jamal climbs to the top rope and then jumps off and puts jeff through a table to the floor and jamal's probably three and a half at the time i mean it's i mean there's a bubble bomb through a table for jamal there's a crazy one of the craziest spots i remember seeing is where they have spike and it looks like they're going to do Like a double power bomb on him, but instead they swing him backwards, and he goes face Uh first through the table. Uh, I I don't even know what you would call that, but it was unbelievable. I mean, looking back at this, it's no wonder that we don't see matches like this anymore, is it? And folks, this was the first match of the night. Yeah, that's what I kept coming back to. It's like, (laughs) I mean, how the fuck do you follow this? Like, as far as pacing goes. You know wcw used to have it right maybe they would start with an hour long um, johnny b bad match to really set a tone that, hey guys don't expect a lot here uh <laughs> instead you guys come out guns blazing here what a fucking barn burner of an opener
1: follow that bitch
0: well it, it is kind of interesting because the crowd does get the biggest pop probably of all when rosie and rico start to get the advantage on uh, Bubba when all of a sudden Devon comes back and he's not in his, uh, brother Devon or his preacher outfit. Now, instead he's got his old Dudley gear on. And of course the Dudleys are victorious doing a 3d. I thought it was a pretty fun match, man. Maybe the most fun opener in survivor series here
1: uh, history. Maybe up until this point, I thought it was excellent. Um, uh, and, and frankly, you know what, when it started, I, and I hadn't seen it in what, 15 years, I'm thinking, oh God, what's this going to be? And I was very pleasantly surprised. I thought all six guys over delivered and it just made, you know, it made me long for those. For all their days, man, it, I thought it was just great stuff.
0: Absolutely. Next up, uh, we are treated to Stacy at <laughs> the world and yes. she's talking about how test loves being surrounded by a throng of testicles. And, uh, then we see this saliva concert. What'd you think of, uh, Stacy and how roll tide was she in 2002?
1: Rather those jeans and the cutoff jeans around the waist, uh, Stacy was, and still is one of the most beautiful women <laughs> on the planet. She was so great. And I, I read something the other day, somebody sent me an article about people that didn't deserve to be in the business. And, and one of them was, well, Stacy. And I thought, you know what? She, she did a lot in the business. She wasn't a worker, but she got out there and she busted her ass and she's still one of those personalities that people remember. And and that's all you can really ask for from somebody. But yeah, Stacy's definitely the definition of Roll Tide.
0: Uh, chat me up about, um, this dialogue because it feels like throng is a word that Vince McMahon likes but somebody's got to be there coaching her up on what to say and how to say it. So, who is coaching her up on throng and testicles?
1: No, it was all written for given to her ahead of time. We probably had a writer's assistant there or somebody just uh, it was the world. <laughs> it was live. It was it was pretty much the the lowest end of the totem pole that you could get as far as having that assignment for that night.
0: Uh, next up, and this is something I've been looking forward to for a long time. We see the RVD split leg stretch in the back. And I've always been curious, how does that come up that he does this? Because obviously he was doing it in ECW, but does he go to a writer and say, Hey, I want to show that I can do this. What's Vince McMahon think when he sees this, this has to be something that Vince got a kick out of.
1: Well, no, as you sit there and that's how Rob warms up, that's how Rob warms up in real life. So it's unique, especially somebody as big as Rob Van Dam. And Rob Van Dam is to be as flexible as Rob is. And you would always try and do things that are in their real repertoire. And that's how Rob warmed up. And it was just a unique thing. You know, Rob used to do the the Van Dam split where he would do the split on chairs and then lift weight while he did the split. Kind of like do a deadlift. And boy, you talk about being flexible and strong, um, just a demonstration of that. And I think it was something that people kind of always went and went, ouch, whenever they would see that,
0: you know, it's a shame because I was queuing for an impression and I didn't get one. So I'm not going to do it anymore. Jamie Noble. Don't you do it. Uh, it's out next with the, uh, cruiserweight title. And of course he's got Nydia in tow and, um, he's going to be defending against Kidman and they've had a little bit of a feud here going and Kidman is going to debut some new theme music. And, uh, at the end of the show, we've got a special little treat to uh, share with you that I can't believe is real. Uh, but hypothetically you might enjoy that. Uh, these guys go seven minutes and 10 seconds. Wade gave it two and three quarter stars. Kidman comes out on top. Wade said it was a good match. And of course we got to see the shooting star press. I got to tell you, when I go back and I watch, um, jamie nobles matches i just feel like he's maybe one of the most underrated performers of this era i really dug his run in uh the ring of honor but he had a lot of cool moves and combinations that i don't think i've seen before i really dug his like top rope ddt we've seen of course randy orton do it but the way he sticks kidman and that's all on kidman but still what an impressive match this was this is off to a tremendous start what'd you think of the match
1: well, like I said earlier about you know follow this, this was the perfect match to follow that because it was a completely different style and it was two guys that could work. I thought they did a great job as far as going out there and telling a good wrestling story. And you had Jamie and Nidia and you know, hey baby, come on now, baby, get that tongue down my throat now. You know how to do it. And in her beautiful little jeans, you show them that butt there, baby. You know, and it was it just was it was excellent, man. I I enjoyed the hell out of this match and nydia is another one that was just so underrated for how she portrayed her role she was great she looked good nice girl great gal man i think she's a chef now and lives in houston I, as far as i know well, but is, she, is she coming to the show this weekend i sure hope so
0: Dude, i don't know if she is or not I you should so. find a way to make that happen just so you can do your jamie noble impression to work on that uh next up we've got uh, kurt angle doing a funny backstage bit with benoit and in the gimmick here is uh kurt is refusing to shake benoit's hand because that's not what partners do partners hug and i thought this was a little weird you know seeing i don't know that i'll ever get used to benoit you know, looking back in these backstage segments uh, i guess in in the course of a match it's easy to sort of get caught up in it but this came off a little awkward to me, just because of the way, you know, everything ended with Benoit. Just watching it back, but my takeaway from this was how fucking talented was Kurt Angle, the way he's delivering these lines, his facial expressions with the hug. I mean, Kurt Angle was the man right here.
1: Kurt Angle was the man since he stepped in the ring. Man, uh, a badass in the ring, nothing he couldn't do, and delivered every time in those backstage segments and in the stuff that. It was so subtle the way Kurt laid his head on Benoit's shoulder and just closed his eyes and that passion. It was almost a passionate hug that put it all the way over the top. And Kurt was so good at the nuances and the subtleties. And so you fast. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to fast forward and talk about current product. You go back and you watch the the SmackDown from this past week and you see Kurt Angle in the ring with Shane. Man, that's the guy that I remember and miss. His facials, his mannerisms, all the little things he did were just spot on. And those are the things that make someone not just good, but great.
0: And and around this time, uh, Kurt and Karen were expecting their first child. So it's a great time in Kurt's life. And of course we know that he's going to be in a featured match at the next WrestleMania with Brock Lesnar. So he's definitely on the upswing here. Uh, next up we have got, um, a little hidden camera i guess it was like the f view of victoria talking into a mirror and then she uh, flips out when she does mirror mirror on the wall and the mirror apparently although we can't hear it tells us that trish is prettier so she flips out uh wears out the mirror and attacks a standee she's just uh she's crazy
1: you want to, uh, you want to hear something funny, Conrad? Yes. So you, you'll, you'll like this. I actually tried to do, you know, research on this and I, I reached out to a bunch of people cause I, I was watching this and for the life of me did not remember F view. Me either. Didn't, didn't remember anything about it. And I reached out to a couple different people. No one <laughs> remembered F view. And they're all like, well, what are you talking about? And went back and watched it and they're going, I have no idea. What the hell did we do? And so that's, that's what an impact the F view had on even those of us that were writing it at the time.
0: No one remembers it. That's amazing. Let's make the something up. The people that
1: wrote it don't remember it. Let's
0: make something up. What was it for?
1: It was a fuck view. So when you're thinking of fucking, it's the view, a uh, female view, whatever the fuck you can think of you
0: hypothetically uh this match we're heading towards here is a hardcore match it's going to be maybe the first women's hardcore match uh and the story here is both victoria and trish were fitness models and the wwe wanted them both but of course victoria says that trish held her down and uh, in the build-up here you see victoria throwing water bottles on stage which is kind of fun way before conor mcgregor did it and then swinging a chair upside down at trish which uh, couldn't have been fun, and then she even slammed Terry Terry Runnels uh, on the ramp. So you guys did, you know, you did a lot to build up the hardcore match here. Do you have any memories of of shooting any of that, the throwing the bottles, the swinging the chair upside down, and slamming Terry on the ramp?
1: <laughs> this was, you know, the the history on this match was the girls really wanted to to get to this match, and. They felt very strongly about having a hardcore match and, and, and doing what they did. Not everyone was in favor of it. Uh, I definitely was, I was against it. Uh, triple H was against it. Vince was on the fence about it. There were, um, I think for the most part, it it was the girls, both Trish and Lisa, convincing Vince McMahon that they could pull it off and that they could do it quote tastefully. I, I think that I just don't, the here was the the rap that no one wanted to see two beautiful women beating the hell out of each other with weapons. Fast forward 2017, um, different circumstance, but it was the first, it was the, the first one. And building up to it. I think that the buildup was a lot better than the match because you got to see that crazy personality of Victoria and you got to see that stuff. Like with, with Terry, we hadn't done that with the females before that. And so now, you know, they're getting a lot more physical and it was breaking ground.
0: No doubt about it. And, um, I'm sure Vince was really excited. I'm sure he probably wanted to see Trish do hardcore for a long time. Right? Easy. Now I thought the match sucked though. <laughs> really? Well, Wade didn't disagree. He gave it two stars. Of course, Victoria pins Trish here after uh, seven minutes and four seconds to become the WWE women's champions. So we've had two belts change hands so far in just three matches. Wade would write good intensity from Victoria. Strong selling by Trish. Nice effort from both. Although marred by some mistimed moves. Uh, There is uh, a botched extinguisher spot where Victoria is uh, pulling a fire extinguisher out from under the ring. This is supposed to be the finish, and it doesn't fire off right away, so they have to just sort of stall. Eventually, it does go off. Victoria slides in, hits a snap suplex and a pin, and uh, when she sits up here, it's apparent that Victoria is bleeding from the nose. So it's a stiff match, but maybe a little sloppy. What would you think?
1: Yeah. Like I said, it was extremely sloppy and I'm a big fan of both Trish and Victoria. I thought that they were tremendous talents, but it didn't gel this match. I just didn't think complemented what they did best. And they were both great workers and lesson to be learned when you have a fire extinguisher in a match, pull the pin before you put it under the ring.
0: Next up, we've got a uh, big show and he's backstage telling Eric Bischoff that he'll regret trading him to raw. And then we see Heyman. Uh, talking to Brock Lesnar and he says he will do everything in his power to be sure my client leaves the pay-per-view, the WWE champion. And, uh, it feels like it's a little bit over the top, especially knowing what we know now. Uh, but Heyman is also selling that nothing has been the same for Brock since hell in a cell. And he's got to admit that and that he needs to be careful. And, uh, Brock's just hearing nothing about it. Of course, we know what's coming big show pins brock lesnar in four minutes and 23 seconds to capture the wwe title Heyman yanks the ref out of the ring just as the ref is about to count the pin on show and this is after the f5 and uh, brock doing an f5 here is a big deal it's an even bigger deal when he's got a broken rib uh, show then comes back with a choke slam on a chair and gets the pin obviously the big moment is uh When Heyman pulls the leg and you see the facials of both Brock and Heyman, once it's kind of revealed that this is a big swerve, I thought this was well done. You know, you don't want to make Brock look weak. Uh, this is going to be Brock's first loss. It tells a good story, but maybe the match could have been a little better, especially for the world title. What'd you think?
1: Well, there wasn't a whole lot that we could do with Brock and his rib and everything. And we wanted to protect him. He insisted on doing the F five and think about, The impressiveness of that feat to take a seven foot, 500 pound giant, hoist them up on your shoulders and then spin them around for an F five in the best of health. And then he did it with a broken rib. I just absolutely amazing to be able to watch him and do that. And just a Testament to what a great athlete he was then, what a great athlete that he is now, but it, it told the story. And we did it without anybody getting hurt any further.
0: It was a, it was a fun match for what it was. Uh, and it's our third title change. We've had four matches. Three have had title changes so far. Next up, we've got maybe the most talent ever before in a WWE ring when it wasn't a rumble. I'm just making that up, but we've got Chavo and Eddie Guerrero, the Guerreros. And, uh, they're going to be in there with edge and Rey Mysterio, who are a team and then Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit round out the third team. So we've got a three-way elimination match, and I think you could put that, you know, as far as wrestling talent, up against anybody that's ever been in the ring at the same
1: time, don't you think? Two words for this match. Fucking tremendous. This match uh, from, from top to bottom was just outstanding. And it made me appreciate everybody in that ring and little things that, that stood out. I think that you watch this match and you see Chavo Guerrero and probably Chavo would be at the bottom of the list when people are thinking about, okay, if you're going to rate these guys,
0: well, I think they do that because every other guy won the world title. So everybody in this ring is a world champion with the exception of Chavo. And I wanted to ask you about this. Had he not been a Guerrero,
1: God, you took the words out of my mouth. Well, I mean, it just,
0: it just feels like, you know, he, he he suffered a disservice here. Like the best thing I'm sure is that he's Eddie's cousin, but kind of the worst thing is that he's Eddie's cousin because Eddie's just so fucking good that it feels like he'll never really get the respect he deserves. If he had a different last name or maybe if Eddie did, if one of them wasn't related to the other, wouldn't Chavo have been world champ as well at some point?
1: Yes. Uh, and I sit there and I watch it and I go, man, if, if only Yes. And that's what I have written down. Any other name Chavo would have been a top guy. I think that he was just compared to Eddie so much and his father, you know, Eddie's brother Chavo uh, that were two innovators in their own time. And I sat there watching Chavo going, good God, is he on the money? And of course, you know, he's in there with uh, five other guys that are, the best of the best but this match just start to finish they sold they told a story and it's a triple threat tag match which is a match that I hate more than anything on the face of the but earth this was well done this was perfectly done they told a story and the, they built go out of your
0: way to watch this I think we're getting high marks all across I, I loved it and I I don't remember liking it when it first happened I, maybe I wasn't into it I don't know but when I watched it back, it surprised me how good it was. They go 19 minutes and 18 seconds. The Guerreros come away as your tag champions. Of course, edge and Mysterio coming in had the belts, but Keller disagreed with us. He wrote, and I guess since we have an FDM shirt, you might want an FWK shirt now. Cause he writes, if there's such a thing as a disappointing match, that's still in the four-star range. This was it a very good match, but not what it could have been given more time and a stronger final few minutes. The crowd didn't seem to like that Angle and Benoit were eliminated first when Edge speared Benoit and scored a pin on him at 13 minutes and two seconds. In the end, Ray tapped out to Eddie's finisher to end the match. Three and three-quarter stars.
1: Couldn't disagree with him more. That was a six-star match in Madison Square Garden, by God. Let me ask you this. The
0: person I think about, whether it's fair or unfair, when I think about a tag team like this, where one is just kind of overshadowed by the other, but separately, he could have been just as big of a deal is Edge and Christian. I feel like people just look towards Edge and say, oh well, he's the star. And Christian is also a star, but I think people just view Edge as maybe a little bit better. And I think they kind of look at Eddie and Chavo the same way. Like, yes, Chavo's good, but Eddie's great. Do you draw that same assessment with Edge and Christian that you do Eddie and Chavo?
1: Terrific analogy because uh, Jay Riso Christian is probably one of the best pure workers ever in the business. And had he not come in with edge and actually come in either, you know, little different time and been able to work with edge in that role, I think would have been viewed in a completely different light. Yes. Without a doubt. Perfect analogy. And looking at this match, six of the greatest workers ever lace up a pair of wrestling boots. And they told a, terrific easy to understand story
0: and what's interesting about that what we just talked about is you've got all these guys who are independent of each other world champions but this weird association between whether they're related or not eddie and chavo and edge and christian aren't related but it's still that association that sort of drags him down and both of them i'm sure would say oh i wouldn't have it any other way i got to wrestle with my best friend i got to wrestle, you know blah 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 but it does make you wonder what if
1: exactly and and chavo i think would probably be one of the glowing examples of that and i think if people were to just look at his body of work you would say damn what about him because it really stuck out in this match man he hung in there with everybody and and was Man, right there, every step of the way.
0: Next up, we've got Christopher Nowinski. He's coming out and he's going to start insulting the New Yorkers, calling them all stupid. And it's a very old school promo. He's putting over that he's from Harvard and how stupid everyone is. And then Matt Hardy comes out doing his version one with, uh, that's kind of a fun gimmick. We haven't talked about that a whole lot on the show. what do you think of this version one incarnation?
1: I didn't get it. I liked it It as a kid. I liked it. You would, and you're the audience that he was going for. It was Matt's idea. It was Matt's idea, and it was a way to to kind of capitalize on the the internet craze at the time, and this whole new fancy computer thing. And um, I love you said that I, on a fucking podcast right now. I know, right? I'm an old man. It's amazing, and it, it was all that was Matt's idea. So you know, I, I credit him for all of that. He always had innovative stuff, and he was always he was always trying to reinvent himself. And always trying to come up with something new and be different. I thought the promo on both guys sucked. Um, it wasn't good. But you know, Matt Hardy's one of my favorite performers of all time, going back to when he did jobs for us a uh, long, long time ago. But I always appreciated how hard he worked and how much he loved the business. I just didn't think that this was a very good spotlight and a horrible promo that they were out there to get the big booty daddy over.
0: Well, let's talk about it because when Matt comes out, he calls New York. He says, no, they're not just stupid. They're losers. Uh, and he of course makes references to, uh, what the Knicks are doing and JR's kind of getting in on that too. He's being a little bit of a heel on commentary shitting on the Knicks. So these guys argue for a few minutes and then they compromise and say that this crowd is stupid, of course, losers and stupid And then all of a sudden that siren music comes out and we've been teased with that online. We know that's Scott Steiner. So Scott's out. He beats them both up, uh, lots of suplexes. And then he asked for the fucking mic. Uh, and then he said one of his, uh, catchphrases to all his freaks out there. Big Papa pump is your hookup. Holler. If you hear me and the crowd popped big, like he's a star. And of course he had been on WCW as a super heel, But because he's a star, you know, he's going to be cheered here. So why not feed him some heels? Because you know, they're not going to boo him. Just let him get that first nostalgia pop and then establish him as a heel. Or what was the plan?
1: Well, no, he was, he was coming in and he was going to work with triple H as a baby face. So it was, you know, bring him in as a star, get that star pop and get him over and let him have a big debut and beat some people up and take it from there. And it was, it was also a test to see how the hell they were going to react. And they reacted, man. They knew who he was. They popped huge for him. I thought it was a incredible entrance. It was, you know, good night for big Papa pump.
0: Chat me up about, um, him asking for the fucking mic. Was that something that's addressed in the gorilla position after?
1: Yeah. I believe Vince grabbed him as soon as he walked through the, walk back through the entrance. We don't do that here, pal. got to watch your language. We got microphones everywhere.
0: I've always been curious and I'm sure we'll talk about this in long form, but I was kind of saying it facetiously. Why would you bring in one of the biggest heels in the other company and make him a fucking baby face? Like I understand because we wanted him to work with triple H. Why not program him with somebody else? Let him be a heel first.
1: Did You see the reaction he got? He got a baby face reaction. He well, got a baby face reaction. And I think that there was a feel, There was an overall feeling that this guy. And again, with the, the edge and the attitude and trying to be different, he was a baby face. They popped for all of his stuff. Big booty daddy. I got you hook up. They popped for his promos. He wasn't cutting heel promos. His work was baby face. They popped for him when he was supposed to be a heel in WCW. They popped for his stuff. So uh, give it to him
0: okay we'll move on but before we do this is the last time i'm doing this bullshit today since you know a scott steiner promo and you just kind of told us you know what might it sound like if jim cornett did one
1: god damn big booty daddy motherfucker i got your hook
0: next up it's time motherfucker. thank you i was ready for that uh, we've got Sean Michaels doing a backstage interview here with Terry and, uh, Terry has a horrible bruise on her back. Do you remember the body slam from Victoria? Was this makeup or was she legitimately hurt from not knowing, you know, how difficult of a bump that would be on the ramp?
1: No, that was real. And, and that was a product of taking that wonderful bump on that un- unforgiving salad steel. But yeah, no, that w- that was real. Might as well accentuated by shooting that backside. Who, um, who talks her into doing that?
0: Is she like just game for it and says, okay, yeah, I'll do it. It feels like quite a bump to sign up for if you're not a worker.
1: She was game for it. Uh, no, shoot. Terry was game for pretty much anything, man. I think that there was a part of her that wanted to work and a part of her that wanted to take more bumps, but she was so damn diminutive and we were looking for, her to kind of be that backstage person and maybe be a different personality. I don't think working was in the cards for her.
0: So the interview is cut short because we get an RNN network update from Randy Orton and he's giving us an update about his arm and he's doing an awkward wink for the flight attendant who hooked him up on the way over, uh, behind the scenes, of course, he's supposed to be out until February with this, but supposed to be game for WrestleMania, but this is a way to just keep him on TV. And they promote an email address if you'd like to send your well wishes to Randy. And I want to share it with you now. And I want to encourage our audience. Let's send Randy our well wishes. The email address, pull up your Google machine now, is at WWE.com. So I'd like to see how many emails we can send WWE this week to let them know all about Randy. You're rolling your
1: eyes, Bruce. No, it's kind of like me putting up the... Uh, phone number of diamond Dallas page from 30 years ago. That's what I'm saying. I, I want in on this. Action. I want to see how many people do it. Yeah.
0: Well, let, let's see how many emails we can get. So if you enjoy the show, do us a favor, drop WWE line, get well, Randy at WWE.com. Uh, let's let them take notice of the fact that you like something to wrestle. And you really hope that Randy's arm is feeling better. Uh, next up, we get a video about the construction of the chamber. And of course, Bischoff is credited we talked about this earlier. Eric comes out and walks around hitting everything with a pipe to show that nothing is gimmicked. And uh, we've already kind of talked about who designed it in the plexiglass. I guess the last thing I want to ask about are the up lights because they've got lights in the different chambers shining through there. Do you remember whose idea it was to accentuate this with lights from below and then sort of round robbing it from above like a game show when the announcement is made of who's next?
1: Well, the company, the company that actually designed it and built it, uh, was, was also a lighting company and we had, you know, we were like, okay, when it's time for people to come out, we wanted to get that countdown kind of like you did with the Royal Rumble, you know, the last few seconds, you know, seven, six, five, four, three. But how do you know, with the Royal Rumble, you're focused on the entrance. Well, here, everybody's already out in the ring. So how do we get them to focus on the pods? And that's how that idea came to light up the different pods. And then, you know, and then, bam, you focus on the one pod that opens up at the time. So it, it was exactly that, trying to give the the feeling. I think it was uh, who wants to be a millionaire or some something. I think it was who wants to be a millionaire that had a similar kind of lighting effect on the stage, uh, for something. But, but that was the whole idea. It was a game show thing and get, get people's attention on the pods and kind of take it away from the ring a little bit. So that you're anticipating who's coming out of the pod next. And so the idea
0: here is you're 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 kind of borrowing from the old war games concept where two guys are going to start for five minutes and then the other guys come in in time intervals. And, um, first out as far as an entrance goes is Chris Jericho. Is there any rhyme or reason as to the order in which these guys come out? What would Vince McMahon's philosophy have been?
1: Wow. Um, the really other than just kind of staggering, you, you knew obviously the last two, who you wanted to start with, they've got to come out last, but you wanted to build the last person to get into the pod was Shawn Michaels. So we knew that was going to be the last big anticipated pop. Cause we had to get Sean in a, in a pod and just order of elimination. So you, you started off with the heel and Jericho and come on out RVD. And I think we had Kane next and, and take it from there, but it was just kind of a, an up and down, get them, get them up, get them down, keep them going up and down.
0: Um, s- uh, saliva RVD was next to last, but saliva, you know, Sorry. No, go ahead. I mean, now you got stuff to say. No, I'm done.
1: Go ahead. Saliva.
0: Yeah. They played some theme music.
1: They did live and it was live from the world positively horrible, but it was a way to get the world exposed and get people talking about the world and all the embezzlement that took place. (laughs)
0: Well, it didn't make me want to go to the world. It made me annoyed that they did this to promote the world. Next up is Booker T. So that makes two guys who were former WCW stalwarts. Of course, uh, Jericho had jumped way before, but it does feel kind of interesting that a year removed from WCW going under the only person who was a real transplant from WCW was Booker T. The rest of this match, of course, is Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Rob Van Dam, Chris Jericho, and Kane, is it surprising to you that there's not more WCW influence at this point?
1: No, because the guys uh, that were of any name value really were still writing out their contracts or weren't ready to come on over at this point in time. So we, we would see that change pretty shortly after. But it, it just was timing on a lot of that WCW AOL Time Warner contract situation and timing of those guys letting that roll out.
0: It does feel a little bit like you guys are trying to build Rob Van Dam to be something special here. Uh, this is a couple of years before he would get the major push and become the world champ. What was uh, McMahon's feeling about Van Dam at this point? He, a year prior, or a year and change prior, he had a big match with Jeff Hardy at the Invasion pay-per-view, and it felt like that could have been the first rocket ship, but it didn't happen. Here it feels like we're getting another slot with him on top. Why do you feel like Vince was a little reluctant to go with Van Dam? What didn't he get about Van
1: Dam? The fact that, that Rob wasn't the best on promos and it all boils down to that. Vince did not feel that Van Dam had a lot of range in his personality and Rob really wasn't willing to give us that range. Rob wanted to be who Rob Van Dam is. And Rob is a very Zen kind of guy and yin and yang. And Rob wanted to be Rob and Rob didn't didn't want to act or, or do that much range. He just wanted to be himself and Vince wanted a lot more out of him and felt that unless Rob could give him more personality and get better on his promos that he was only going to go so far.
0: Is it fair to say that Booker T had the best run of anybody to come over from WCW because it feels like Booker T was so ingrained and everything for so long and even still is now that it's almost like he didn't have some of the WCW stink on him, so to speak, or he overcame it. What was it that made Booker T special? Because he was a multiple time champion here, figured it in a big way for a long time, and
1: then still active with the company now. Well, frankly, because I think Booker T was the best performer to come out of it at that time, of the people that we got and especially in the time frame that we got him, Booker T was, was the first big star that we got from WCW. And I think that Booker was probably the best performer of that group that came. And he continued, he, he continued to deliver year after year after year. And he made himself a superstar.
0: The match is going to go 39 minutes and 12 seconds. And of course we know this is Shawn Michaels crowning moment. He is uh, going to become the world heavyweight champion here, winning the big gold belt but I think what most people remember about this match and Sean is the way he was dressed. He had some relatively plain Brown tights. He didn't have his classic uh, hand wraps that, you know, matched his tights and he had uh, black knee pads and then like a little Dutch boy haircut. This doesn't look like the heartbreak kid that we remember. Uh, and I feel like this is something that a lot of the guys in the back have to be ribbing him about. I mean, his, his, his gear doesn't look finished you know, the actual trunks are, but not the pants part. What do you remember about these duty brown
1: Shawn Michaels tights? That's because his gear wasn't finished and it was put together at the very last minute. You know, you left out the other part about it was his boots. He had these ugly brown boots as well that were the boots that he wore during the day and that he wore out in real life that he used for the wrestling boots that day. And it looked like, um, I think Dudu du Brown is an accurate description and going back and and asking for help on this and going, Hey, refresh my memory on some of this stuff. And some of the feedback I got was, Oh my God, Sean's ugly ass tights. what well, everybody one thing remembers. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. They you know, you, you think about all the things that happened was, yeah, and Sean's ugly ass tights. And I'm I'm looking at it and I'm going, Oh my God, and the boots. And it just, it wasn't the Shawn Michaels that people were accustomed to. It wasn't the heartbreak kid, the flamboyant, uh, Shawn Michaels that everybody was used to just was felt kind of dull.
0: Well, the match wasn't dull. Um, I guess we should say that, uh, RVD and Booker T are the first two eliminated from the chamber, but before RVD is eliminated, he goes up top to do a frog splash and instead of the top rope, he climbs to the top of the pod but he's not able to actually stand up completely and jump off. So he just sort of falls with a frog splash and he winds up actually landing on triple H's throat and injuring him pretty seriously.
1: Tell us about this injury, Bruce. Well, you you know, you go back in that match, even right before that spot and RVD goes up and this is a spot that I did love was where Jericho reached up through the chain. And pulled RVD's leg down into the pod. And I thought that was ingenious. It it just was a different spot and one that, you know, you incorporate the pod and you have a guy that's in the pod, not in the match, being involved in the match. It was great. But when RVD came off, when we were watching it live, we're watching it and it looked like Rob came down on uh, Hunter's ribs. But he really came down, his knee came down onto his throat. And so we asked the referee and you can, you can see it from behind, but I asked the referee is, is Hunter. Okay. And Earl gave me the sign that no, he was hurt. And for Earl, especially at that time with that level of talent in there to say somebody's hurt, they got to be hurt bad. So we sent, a. Uh, We had another referee that was at ringside, you know, find out exactly what the hell was going on. And you can actually see them in the, in the shot going back to let us know that, uh, Hunter couldn't breathe. And we contemplated, you know, sending somebody in there and getting him the hell out of the match, but he refused to leave. And he said he would be all right. He just needed to get his breath, but he had basically crushed his throat. And he couldn't get a breath and he couldn't breathe. And, and he just sat there trying to calm down and trying to get a breath, but his, his, I guess it it had crushed his throat. And you can see at some point during the match, the trainer coming down on the hard camera side and, and talking to Hunter and Hunter reassuring them that he was, he was okay to continue in the match. But the whole damn thing, he had, he had a hard time breathing and trying to get through that thing.
0: Wade Keller wrote triple H was rushed to a New York hospital after suffering a serious throat injury during the elimination chamber match at survivor series. He said the injury occurred when Rob Van Dam's knees landed across his neck after he performed a frog splash off the top of one of the cell doors of the chamber quote, it caused swelling on the inside of my throat, which closed down my airway. This sounds extreme, but the doctor explained to me that if somebody dropped a 10 or 20 pound weight on you from a few feet in the air and it hit you on the throat, It could crush your windpipe and kill you instantly. For me, the doctor said it was a lot of things. Rob tried to protect me as best I could. I rolled with the shot and my neck's very thick from training it. All those things protected me and a bit of luck too. Uh, And he says that he spent most of the next day in the hospital, still wearing his gear. Quote, I basically sat bloody in the hospital in my gear until 11 or noon today. I was still in my gear, still covered in blood with confetti on my back. And the doctors told him that he wouldn't be able to wrestle uh, for 10 days. He also addressed the, the rumor in innuendo that Van Dam was not safe. He says, this is a tough business. And there are certain moves in the business that are high risk moves. When we do them, we take high risk. And that's why they're called high risk moves. Every time you do one, the odds go up that something bad's going to happen. And this time something happened. The time was right, and there it was. This has nothing to do with Rob. I feel completely safe in the ring with Rob every time I'm in there with him. And, of course, this comes out because Rob Van Dam had developed a little bit of a reputation for being stiff and hurting guys, whether it's right or wrong. Do you remember there being any sort of heat from the office that maybe, even though Triple H didn't think it was his fault, that somebody else? No.
1: Accidents happen, and it was... It was an accident, an unfortunate accident, and you know it happened. The I think the biggest thing was getting in there and the positioning on everybody, where he was trying to stand up and not having enough room with the chamber the way that it was. But accidents happen, and you can't you can't get upset over accidents.
0: Well, it's interesting that um, that's one of the big takeaways from this because I think most people remember that for that um you know the the doo-doo tights and then the neck injury or the throat injury um lots of people are bleeding here of course after rvd and booker t are the first two eliminated kane and jericho are next that left triple h and Shawn michaels uh but jericho uh triple h and Shawn michaels all bled and they weren't able to do a lot of ridiculous spots because of the unforgiving structure but they did do the whole thing we talked about with throwing jericho through the bulletproof glass um
1: just one canadian proof yeah
0: yeah triple h blocks a super kick attempt and then gives sean a pedigree sean kicked out and then triple h goes for another pedigree but michael's backdrops out of it and winds up winning after the sweet chin music um keller would write a good final few minutes good match overall but not in the must-see category michael's doesn't look like anything special in the match so unless you were aware of his rep his win wouldn't mean a lot Three and a half stars. Uh, that was his takeaway. What did you think of this?
1: I thought it was a decent first outing. It wasn't a, it wasn't a spectacular match. I thought that the guys worked awful hard and did some crazy stuff, but they were still feeling out what they could and couldn't do in the chamber. And I think that triple H getting hurt kind of put limitations because a lot of things that they had talked about and had planned (laughs) in the match, they couldn't do because he wasn't able to do them and he had to spend some time recuperating from the bump with Rob. So uh, guys were improvising in there and they were trying to do some different things that didn't involve triple H until it was time. And he could get back in and get involved. But I didn't think, I didn't think it was bad. And again, for such a unforgiving structure, they did a lot of shit in there that, you know, maybe they shouldn't have done, but at the same time they made it work. And I think that, there was not a whole lot to be disappointed in.
0: There's a report out there that Vince went back and forth for the few weeks leading up to survivor series about what to do with the belts. Of course, when Brock breaks a rib, it's pretty, you know, obvious that big Show's got to win, but there's talk that Vince wasn't sold that Sean was able to perform at that level to justify holding the
1: title or wasn't over enough. And maybe was going to go with triple H. Do you remember that being the case? Well, going into it, uh, it was always triple H was going to come out of the damn thing. And it, and at the last minute, Vince, they thought, well, everybody thinks that everybody's calling that because Sean's coming back and no one's going to call Sean winning the championship, which is true. We, <laughs> you know, Sean wasn't full-time. Sean had no intentions of, of coming back on a, a full-time schedule in any way, shape, or form. So we weren't even thinking that way. And out of the blue, Vince is like, what if Sean wins? And it's like, well, that the, the initial reaction, that'd be great. That that'd really be great if we had Sean on a permanent basis and Sean were able to, to work live events and work TV. And we had a actual schedule from him, but Vince was like, we'll figure that out later one of the things that cracked me up about the
0: the chamber is I tried to imagine myself as a performer, like how weird is it to be in one of those pods before they let you out? Like that's the epitome of fishbowling. What are you supposed to do in there? Like these, there's guys in there fighting, but you're in the middle of everyone in the arena. 20,000 people are looking at you. What are you supposed to do? do? Do you remember that being a concern for the guys? Like, Hey, what do I do for 10 minutes here?
1: I think everybody's just tried to stay in character and stay involved in the match as much as they could. It was as we, you know, we learned a lot from the first chamber as to that very question there and tried to incorporate some things for reactions from guys as we got on, you know, and did it year after year after year. But, you know, at first you're sitting there, basically you're, you're sitting out there naked.
0: Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, you know, you have to be like stereotypical pro wrestler, you know, come on, you know, all this bullshit over the top nonsense, or just stand there like a fucking goof. There's almost nothing in between, is there?
1: Yeah. And if you're, if you're Chris Jericho, you know, you can sit back and kind of put your feet up and be cocky heel and sit back and watch. I, I, I thought that going, um, the, the way that they did do it. And the fact that triple H did get hurt probably helped us a little bit, but the way that they were able to pair off and have kind of single stuff, if I was in one of those matches, again, you look at it from a shoot point of view, are you going to get in a fight if you don't have to? Right. If somebody's kicking somebody else's ass, as long as they're not kicking your ass or you're not in danger, be eliminated. Why are you going to get in there? Just psychology wise. And I always go back to the spot in 1992 in the Royal rumble. Jake, the snake Roberts and Jake coming in and Jake throwing the snake in the ring. And then, uh, whoever it was, they were going through and they're wrestling. And Jake just went in the corner and sat there and watched. Why is he going to get involved? They're fighting. Right. So uh, psychologically we lose sight of that because it's a work. Well, this guy is coming in. What's he going to do? Well, watch, pick your spot. Wait till it makes sense. So I thought they did a good job of that.
0: Uh, who's calls the confetti. Vince's. So he wanted to make, he wasn't sold on Sean necessarily and just wanted to make it like a celebration that he's back and he's the champ and let's try to make it special.
1: Sure. The garden was always, the garden was always someplace that always, for whatever reason, I remember the first time we did, um, um, pyro in the garden was when diesel won the championship from Bob Backlund and we did pyro in the garden. It was the first time we ever did pyro there. And it was a house the, show. I know, but it was, it was also television. We shot television, sure. was, but it, it was still the first time we ever did pyro in the garden. And it just confetti always looked good. And we thought, what the hell we had the conf- always got confetti cannons. You get those from, you know, confetti R us and just, had him, So let's have some confetti and have a big celebration at the end. Happy, happy, joy, joy. It's one of the, um, one of the more memorable moments of Sean's return.
0: Even if the match wasn't necessarily, you know, a five-star match, it's an innovative match, the duty Brown tights. And it is a little bit of a story of redemption because he left a super heel, not on his terms. He's back on his terms and he's champ again, fairly quickly. What did you think about them using? a cast copy of the old NWA WCW world title as the world title here. Just your personal opinion.
1: Hated it. I need, to Oh, know. I would have rather created a new championship. I didn't like you. I didn't like using the the big gold belt.
0: Did the guys like it? I asked because Shawn Michaels and, and triple H grew up huge Ric Flair fans. So it feels like they might've got a kick out of that.
1: I think triple H liked it. And I think that triple H is the one that championed it. Um, cause he always liked that belt. But I think that all it just, to me, it signified old and it signified WCW. Right. And I just always thought that we should have created a new championship for it.
0: The next night on Nitro, uh, Scott Steiner comes to the ring for a promo and he's interrupted by Chris. He was Jericho. on Nitro the next night? Uh, of course I have it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, sort of like, well, I won't bust your balls about that. You know, this uh. Hell in a cell yeah. match we just talked about that you I call know. the four or five times <laughs> yeah, so the hell in the chamber <laughs> yeah uh steiner comes out and does a promo and jericho interrupts you can see why i called it nitro steiner and jericho and uh jericho says that he has a better physique than steiner how was steiner with working with jericho uh, did these guys get along
1: as far as i know yeah they got along fine i thought that they you know they gelled well and uh, You know, it's funny. I hear Jericho talk about how he didn't gel with guys when he first came in and different things and different people didn't like working with Chris. From my experience working with Chris, I've always found him to be one of the easiest, most professional because he always brought something to the table. Chris wasn't one of those guys that just sat back and was a yes man and said, yeah, whatever you want. He would contribute and he would have ideas. So I love that. And that's what Jericho did. And I just thought that he worked great. He made the most out of everything that he was involved in.
0: I asked specifically about Scott Steiner here because the WWE website interviewed him and asked about the speculation that he'd be a problem in the locker room. Scott said, how the fuck do they know that if they're not backstage, how do they know whether or not I'm a problem? That's a rumor or a label that people try to put on me but I always keep to myself. I don't bother anybody. Nobody bothers me. Fuck. No, I don't talk to anybody. So how can I be a locker room cancer? Keller would say Steiner's being truthful in the sense that he keeps to himself and he's not shacking up or making any clicks and he's not being overly friendly and political. He's kept to himself for the most part and not tried to cozy up or schmooze anyone in the WWE. Was that your experience?
1: Was he a locker room cancer or is that all bullshit? I never knew him to be a locker room cancer when he was there at all. He did. He kept to himself. He came in, he did his stuff. He was there for his matches and did what he was asked to do. Maybe this is just dirt cheap
0: rumor and innuendo, but Wade continues. Shawn Michaels hasn't exactly gone out of his way to endear himself to the rest of the wrestlers, despite being given a top spot. He mainly hangs out with Hunter and William Regal. He isn't unfriendly by any means like he was in the past when he was a headliner but it's still clear he considers himself the senior in high school and part of the cool kid crowd. While most everyone else are underclassmen who haven't paid their dues or formed the relationship with management like he has. You think that's a fair assessment of AAA, I mean, of uh, Sean Michaels at the time?
1: No. Especially when Sean came back uh, around this time. I think that Sean was completely, you know, completely different than he had been before. Uh, did he go out of his way and go hang out with everybody? No, he didn't. And, you know, Sean wasn't drinking at the time. Sean wasn't partying and doing all that stuff that he used to do. And he was very, I guess, um, I don't want to say worried. I don't know if that's the right word, but he was very conscious of what he did and what he said and everything because of his reputation of the past. So now he's being quiet and he's not doing all the things he did before. So there's a reason to hate him.
0: There's lots of talk in, uh, the torch around this time about Hunter and his influence. Here's one excerpt. One of the reasons Raven isn't pushed, maybe because he's seen as someone who would speak up against ideas that don't make sense and call a spade a spade. When it comes to Hunter's political maneuverings, Hunter likes working with people like Booker T Jericho and Rob Van Dam wrestlers who for the most part don't make waves and just go along to get along. Quote, just a facial expression from Hunter in reaction to an idea is enough influence to give Stephanie to be against going for something or grits, not even bothering, bringing it up at a meeting. Said one source. Do you remember triple H yielding or wielding such power?
1: I remember at this time because you know, triple H and Stephanie were definitely a couple at this point and he was getting more involved, but I don't know that he wielded any more power than anybody else. So the fact that he's speaking his mind and the fact that people are asking him his his opinion, um, it's not wielding any more power than anybody else has. It's just now he's there. What about the, um,
0: the gas, I guess that maybe Raven wasn't getting a push because he would uh, not put up with political bullshit. I found that hilarious that that made its way to a newsletter.
1: Well, again, I wonder where that came from.
0: Exactly. That's what I mean.
1: So Um, if, if he doesn't put up with that political bullshit, what political bullshit is he not putting up with? And I think that the fact that that kind of thing makes it to a dirt sheet in that tone and in that way, pretty much says everything that it needs to say.
0: Last thing from the torch here. Uh, it was written Shane McMahon was at the pay-per-view on Sunday and then attended raw on Monday, his usual routine. He doesn't attend TVs except the week of pay-per-views. He doesn't have a defined role. Sources say Shane isn't thrilled with the power that Triple H wields, nor is he celebrating that his younger sister is seen as much more involved and influential than he is. Shane has become a sympathetic figure among the boys since the perception is he and Hunter aren't all that tight. His role backstage is infrequent enough that he just isn't seen as part of the day-to-day backstage operations and instead just pops in once a month to stay familiar with things and help out with various tasks during the most stressful weekend of the month, WWE pay-per-view weekends. What do you say about this? I don't know. Inference here that Shane and Triple H didn't get along.
1: I would say that that is people that are trying to create things that weren't necessarily there. Shane was working more in the office and Shane his duties had him in the office. He wasn't involved on air, wasn't needed at TV. He did come to uh the pay-per-views because of his role and he was doing a lot of stuff with dot com at the time. Um different jobs. They, they had different jobs. And as far as his relationship with triple H, um, especially during that time, I never knew it to be strained at all. As a matter of fact, I always, they always were close and they always seemed to get along. So th- that's just people trying to create something that isn't there that they want. They go, Oh, well, Shane's not here today. It must be, you know what? I bet you he's pissed off that uh, triple H is dating Stephanie. And, and now Triple H is sitting in the meetings and Shane doesn't want to be there because he, he doesn't like him High without th- any merit or any background for that.
0: Are you, um, let's do like a math problem. Is it Johnny Ace is to Vince McMahon as Bruce Pritchard is to Triple H? Well, uh, no. Let me ask another question. Has Hunter ever had a bad hair day that you remember? Lots can you tell us about one in particular
1: um this pay-per-view as a matter of fact i didn't like his clean shaven look and the sideburns what didn't you like about it i did not like it can you give us any
0: detail about something you didn't, I didn't like the
1: clean shaven look I, I i i haven't liked a lot of his facial hair looks
0: it took as a matter uh, of fact, it took nearly three hours but i finally got you to say something bad let's go to let's go to facebook we asked you to, uh, give us some insight.
1: Oh, okay. Well, let's, uh, we won't talk about something. You won't say shit bad about. Go ahead. I'm, I'm ready. No, go ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to go. See, I, I'm not going to go
0: there. <laughs> all right. Well, we know where you were going. Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. We've all got our allegiances. Um, mine may be a little different than yours. Uh, let's go to some fan questions,
1: Bruce. I don't have allegiances. See, that's what upsets you. I don't have any allegiances. Mm. I don't have anything. I'm just telling it like it is from a different perspective. You've heard one narrative of people that don't know, that people that look at it from afar. I was there. I'm giving you my perspective.
0: Okay, cool. If you'd like to uh, ask some questions about Triple H next week when we cover Survivor Series 1987 cruise on over to facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle and look for a post. We're going to have a survivor series graphic up this weekend. And don't forget your new Thanksgiving tradition. We've got something pretty special. We're hoping to put together for you to get you excited about this cruise on over. It's facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle and tune in this Thanksgiving night. I know you're used to Friday noon main event. It's different this week. We're giving it to you on Thanksgiving seven thirty Eastern time. Tune in 730 Eastern on Thanksgiving night at something to wrestle.com and then fire up the WWE network survivor series. 1987 is what we're going to be doing. And we're doing something we haven't done here before. We're going to watch the entire pay-per-view together. So mute your commentary on the television and listen to Bruce and I instead, as we break down all things survivor series, 1987, it was the starcade killer man. And uh, we're gonna have fun
1: with this. I'm excited for that, aren't you, Bruce? Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I think it'll be fun to do a little something different. We had a lot of fun last time that we we watched um, Beyond the Mat. Beyond the Mat, and uh, that was a lot of fun. So it'll be different. This will be
0: fun because it's your new Thanksgiving tradition. Of course, historically, Thanksgiving was the biggest night of
1: the year for professional wrestling, right, Bruce? Everywhere, Thanksgiving and Christmas nights were the two biggest nights of the year, and this Thanksgiving will be the biggest night because you get to spend it with us. Start your day with uh,
0: whwmonday.com. whw monday.com. Tony Schiavone and I are going to cover Starcade 87 and we're going to get rolling on that at uh, four Eastern. Or maybe it's five Eastern. I don't know. Sometime in the afternoon. And then right after that, man, flip it over to something to and uh, let's watch survivor series 87, but now let's go to Facebook. We are going to ask some Facebook questions in next week's show too. So get in on that action. Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. Michael Elkin wants to know where does the elimination chamber match rank for Bruce as far as match concepts?
1: Wow. it, It doesn't rank up there high, uh, because it's just a tough match to work. So it's not one of my favorites. Let's just put it that way.
0: Was this supposed to be just a one-off, or did you guys know this was going to be a new gimmick match for us moving forward, like Helena in a we,
1: No, we were looking for a new gimmick match to, to pull out once a year and, and maybe do it. Um, we were actually thinking, believe it or not, to do a December pay-per-view around the chamber.
0: Donovan Feenan wants to know, is it also true that Triple H wanted to bring back war games for this show and the Elimination Chamber was Vince's compromise?
1: The war games was definitely discussed. And and that was something that was always brought up by either triple H or Michael Hayes. And Vince just hated the concept of war games. Didn't get it. Didn't like it. And would knock it down every time it was brought up. John
0: Shiro wants to know what looked worse. Sean's tights or Sean's haircut.
1: I'm, Ooh, that's tough. Uh, I, I always go with the Dutch boy haircut.
0: Rashad Taylor wants to know how high on Christopher Nowinski was Vince McMahon. I think that's kind of a fun question considering all the work that Chris has done with CTE in the years since. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that another time, but how did Vince feel about him
1: back in these days? He's a Harvard graduate. Look at him. There were high hopes for Nowinski, and it's funny because Nowinski got a really bad rap when he started. If you go back and you look at the history of Chris Nowinski and his background, truly a Harvard graduate. He went to Walter Kowalski's wrestling school. He went through tough enough. He didn't win. He didn't give up. He kept coming back and kept trying and kept after it. He was persistent. Um, man, he had it rough. He got kicked out of the locker room. The boys didn't like him. He came across as very snooty, right? It's just his personality. Um, but Chris is an extremely intelligent guy. And if you take the time to get to know him, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to kiss Chris Nowitzki's ass now. He's really a great guy as well and a, a really smart son of a gun. Lewis Bowles understood. Cool.
0: Lewis Bowles wants to know when running a show at Madison Square Garden, what factors went into deciding whether you guys should use the stage or the smaller side door in the arena?
1: That is a great question, and I actually have it here in my notes. I hated using the entrance that we used for survivor series. And if you watch it, because it's where the hard cameras were set up and you're staring in to that damn entryway and in the garden, historically, that was always the entryway, but it also served as a, a passerby for the audience to walk back and forth through. And there was always security guards and ushers, and that's where they all hung out. So now this was the first event that we held at the garden where we had this type of an entrance and we had that big led board there, right? the video monitor board. And these guys still, if you look, man, they're still walking back and forth. The guy's hanging out and you have no man, no idea how many times I'd go out there and just yell at these guys. Stop. You can't walk by here. I would get rid of two of them. And then another one would come by a whole different person. And finally, we had to, uh, set up two people with headsets to stop people from walking through there and screwing up the shots. But I hated that, uh, entrance. And I don't, I think that may have been the last time that we ever used it for a TV or a pay-per-view.
0: Alan Jackson says this event marked the seventh time the WWE title changed hands this year. And then it happened again at Armageddon. What was the reason behind so many title changes?
1: Well, in this one in particular, it was a Vince last minute decision and trying not to be predictable. (laughs) But at this point, like when you say it like that, it would be predictable that we would change the damn title. Uh, Vince's whim. That's the answer to that question.
0: Uh, Patrick wants to know,
1: was there any thought
0: to bringing Rick back with Scott?
1: No, not at the time. Rick had retired at that time and, and wasn't interested in coming back. Uh, Michael Stone wants to know, why wasn't there a traditional five-on-five elimination match at Survivor Series? Well, going back to the Attitude Era and Vince Russo, we had gotten away from those, and Russo had convinced Vince McMahon, and this is my my uh, obligatory dump on Vince Russo now, but Vince McMahon had grown tired of the elimination and felt that it was always a force to have those, so they went to more angle-oriented and issue-oriented matches and he didn't feel that people cared or wanted to see the elimination matches anymore i couldn't disagree more
0: sean wants to know what is bruce's favorite song by saliva and why is it click click boom
1: spend my days working hard on the go but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow i can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight
0: shout out to sean that was a good joke even though he now sold it um this is kind of fun here jamie w- miller wants to know was the plan always to have triple h crush scott steiner
1: <laughs> No.
0: know uh, joseph wants to know what was the idea of putting rico with three minute warning and was it a rib
1: no, it was a idea to have a mouthpiece for three minute warning. They weren't really good on promos and to give them a mouthpiece. And I also think that it was kind of a uh in a lot of ways a misuse of Rico because Rico was good in the ring.
0: Nick Slater wants to know whose call was it for Kidman, the Ditches trademark, tank top
1: and denim shorts. I hated that tank top and denim shorts. He 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 looked like a guy on the street. It was uh, all of our idea. Just it sucked.
0: John Marcher has a fun question. We've gotten lots of different ways. How did you guys get the tables? Does WWE have a wholesale account or work directly with a manufacturer? Do you simply order them town by town? I'm ready for it. Hit me with it.
1: Tables are us. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I really think that's the name of the company.
0: Uh, Jordan Loftus. What was it like to work with Jeff Hardy during this period in his career? Uh, I think we got this question a lot. Did Jeff, Was Jeff already struggling with some, uh, extracurricular activities at this point in his career?
1: I don't know that it was noticeable at that time. I think that the biggest challenge working with Jeff at this point was Jeff being on his own. Jeff had spent so much time, uh, is a tag team with Matt that he was a great, he was a great tag team wrestler and to be out on his own, I think there was a little bit of doubt in Jeff's mind as to whether or not he could do it. Uh, Obviously, as time went on, we found out that Jeff could definitely do it and be a huge single star on his own. Both those guys did. But at this time, I think Jeff was kind of second-guessing himself a little bit.
0: Well, we're not going to second-guess that we are excited to spend Thanksgiving with you. Tune in right here, Thanksgiving night, 730 and watch survivor series 1987 with bruce and i we're going to relive the great memories from 30 years ago the very first survivor series and this is your new thanksgiving tradition and we really appreciate your support this week if you haven't already go like us on facebook man it's facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle there you'll be able to ask questions about survivor series 87 you'll catch up on the morning deuce with bruce you never know what's going to pop up there But check it out close to Thanksgiving. We might have something pretty special there. And we really need your help this week. We're going to go ahead and show you something we've never shown before. High definition pictures of Bruce's planner from back in the day. Some of the most critical moments in WWE history. We'll publish them right on our Facebook page. If you'll just help us get 5,000 little surveys completed over at podcastlistener.com forward slash wrestling. That's podcastlistener.com forward slash wrestling. And when we get 5,000 of those dudes, we are going to release the hounds. You're going to love what we're publishing here. Lots of my friends have had an opportunity to flip through some of these books whenever Bruce was visiting. And uh, people are amazed at the detail that you have in there. If you haven't already, pick up your tickets, Houston. We're coming to see you day after tomorrow. It's the day of Survivor Series. Boxofgimmicks.com is where you can pick them up join us at noon if you're vip one o'clock if you're not the show's going to start at two and our man josh reddick of the houston astros is going to be there as well tickets are on sale for the house of blues right before survivor series come check us out box in and boston will be there before you know it don't sleep on us pick up your tickets box of he is at bruce pritchard i am at hey hey it's conrad and we are out of time bruce is there anything else we need to plug
1: for you Absolutely not. Looking forward to seeing everybody this Sunday in Houston. Houston, come see us. Boxagimmics.com.
0: See you next week on Something to Wrestle with.
1: Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together,